Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time. Living Paranormal. Real Stories. Real investigators. No scripts. From legends to hauntings. Good evening, everybody. My name is Rob. And I'm Jason. And welcome to Living Paranormal. Guys, we're glad to have you back for another week of paranormal discussion, hot topics, special guests, and basically whatever we feel like throwing out there. Jason, how was your week? Yeah, it's funny because when you said hot topics, I was thinking, hot pockets. I don't know why. <laughs> it's a, you know, it's a funny story, and I, I can't remember what city it's in. But I'm, I'm going to get completely derailed early. But uh, there, there's a city somewhere, in, I think it's in Washington State, where actually giving away alcohol or selling alcohol is illegal unless you're serving food. What? So th- this brewery came up with an amazing idea. They sell two menu items. I can't remember what the second one is, but the first one was one Hot Pocket that had two bites taken out of it and it had been dropped, and it was $15. And they don't want anybody to buy the Hot Pocket. They actually have it there, one Hot Pocket, but they do that so they can legally give out samples to people to come and check out the brewery. That's awesome. That's yeah, hilarious. And I actually saw a picture of the menu. It was flipping hilarious because you actually see this picture of a Hot Pocket with two bites taken out of it, and it's dirty, <laughs> and you know, and they, they've actually got it as a menu item. So I thought that was rather clever. But anyway, I'm sorry. I, ju- I didn't mean, Jason, to uh, interrupt it's you. No How was problem. your week, buddy? It was awesome, man. It was fantastic. Just having a good time. Uh, I had Alessandro this weekend because, you know, it's summer, and I get them all the time. So it's fantastic. I love having them, being around them. But I uh, did a lot of swimming. Did a lot of swimming, but other than that, yeah, not a whole lot. What about yourself? How was your week? Not too bad, man. Uh, working hard as always. You know, it's uh, tough pounding the telephones for a living like I do. And uh, yeah, you know, dealing with people and uh, helping them out. But you know what? I really, really had a, a good week. I had some uh, fun this weekend, especially. I had both of my daughters here most of the week. Uh, my twin girls, uh, you know, got to spend some time with them and kind of hang out. So it was, it was a wonderful thing, just enjoying some good times, some good music, and uh, some actually pretty good TV. I got them to watch an old, old episode of Doctor Who, if you can believe that. One of the Tom Baker ones. I'm really Oh, wow. That. Yeah, she and, and Jada actually really liked it. So really happy about that. And, of course, uh, Jerry and I had a wonderful lunch to, or dinner today, a steak with sautéed mushrooms and uh, fresh cantaloupe and uh, ranch Still- mashed potatoes. Man, she is just, oh. You always turn this into like an episode of NPR. It's a splendid table. Like every oh, yeah, time I talk, a, I'm going to braise slightly on the grill. It'd be fantastic. With the- <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I tell you exactly what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, start my own uh, version of a show that Alton Brown made uh, famous. He called his Good Eats. I'm just going to call mine Amazing Food. And I'm going to talk about the science of what she work. does. You know, so that that's. Work. Yeah, Start a cooking show with, with uh, yourself and Jerry Lee. That'd be awesome, man. That'd yeah, be good. Be you can put that on uh, YouTube. That'd be awesome. That would be fun. I'd be sitting there just going, steaks are almost done on the grill. You do everything else, baby. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. 
Pretty much. Yeah, that's the way it works. Absolutely. But yeah, man, uh, tonight's going to be pretty pretty awesome topic. I'm actually kind of excited about it. Now, of course, we did have a prior show that was scheduled, but unfortunately, cancellations do occur. It's a thing right. and, that happens. And John so. Sable will be rescheduling with us. He is at a very critical point in a project that he's working on. And believe me, we fully understand that and we fully support it. Um, he will be rescheduled at a later date. But where we don't want to leave you guys hanging. Um, and, you know, Jason, I gave you credit for the show you came up with. I'm going to kind of take credit for this one. This one was kind of my brainchild. We're going to be looking at misconceptions in the paranormal field. Now, Jason, what was that beautiful, beautiful title you came up with? <laughs> uh, I did. I have abnormal paranormal perceptions. Just, you know, a little play on words, a little flow. I like the way it went. It was pretty good. Yeah. But yeah, tonight's show is abnormal paranormal perceptions because we are going to be discussing uh, a topic that Rob chose. And it is a fantastic topic talking about the common misperceptions or misconceptions, excuse me, of the paranormal and uh, commonly held by a lot of people out there. These are right. things going to be things that we've heard uh, questions asked to us. Things we've actually been <clears throat> accused of Absolutely. and uh, clearing those up. And uh, what better way to have a show, a discussion with seasoned paranormal investigators than to include our perennial favorite, our, a guest uh, that comes onto the show all the time. Um, and he will continue to do so until I pay him back to $50 worth of appearance fees. No, I'm just kidding. I want to welcome tonight back, of course, our old friend, uh, investigator George Aguilar. Welcome back to the show, George, man. Appreciate having you, man. Glad to have you, George. Thanks. Glad to be here. Uh, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Now, first of all, we did forget a step, Jason, and I'm going to call bad hosts on you for this one because we kind of skipped ahead. But if you're listening oh, no. to us live right now, you're in one of two locations. You're either hanging out with us at livingparanormal.com forward slash live, the home of our weekly show, where we like to discuss anything and all things that fall outside of what the realm, I guess, of normality would be considered. We don't care if it's about ghosts, UFOs, or cryptids. We want to have a shot at it and see what we can find. In addition to that, you might be listening to us at our second location second home and the only place that we're actually simulcast freedomrocksradio.com freedomrocksradio.com is home of some of the best music of yesterday today and tomorrow as new artists are added every day as well as new djs are added on a daily and weekly basis so we're glad to have uh, you know this uh, wonderful partnership with freedomrocksradio.com jason where else can they find us well, if you want to get a copy of the archive show, you're more than welcome to tune into or go to www.livingparanormal.com. All you have to do is click on past shows and you can scroll on down and be treated to over 117 episodes of wonderful paranormal uh, uh, uh Pandemonia, uh, excellence. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a, a cool thing to say, and I just don't have the uh, the gift of the radio gab. So uh, anyway, uh, which, but which I also makes your do, job here perfect because you do a radio show. Just yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, Throwing it out necessary. But uh, either way, you can also find us over at blogtalkradio.com slash livingparanormal. And of course, you want to stay abreast of all of the things that we have up and coming, including when we actually post the shows, because the live shows, while they are recorded on Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, are uh, actually worked on through do some post-production work, and uh, they are put out later that week. So when we post them up, we put them up on Facebook for you to offer. And of course, you can always just stay tuned over at livingparanormal.com and take a look and see when we post them there. But uh, yeah. Yeah, we also have a wonderful chat room over at the live 
uh, paranormal doc, livingparanormal.com slash live. And we have a, a room that's slowly filling up. We have the real Kim Shady. We have uh, Patricia uh, Morales-Vasquez. We have George in the room along with Rob and myself. And of course, others will come in during the course of the show. And you are welcome to tune in and jump into the fun on Sundays live. If you can make it over at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 8 p.m. Central. And we'd love to hear from you and, and answer any questions you may have. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, and, and something to our live listeners tonight, guys, I want you guys to be as interactive with this one as you have ever been, because we're going to broach the topics of some things that people believe are standardized parts of the paranormal field, things that they believe to be solid fact, for lack of a better term. But we want to make sure that we bring anything to light that we missed in our research. And actually, we had literally, and I mean, Jason, I'm not kidding you, I literally put minutes into researching this today. It was ridiculous, man. I've never spent four minutes more intense in my life. But um, I did see one thing (laughs) that I do have to ask you about. Um, uh, What's that? Patricia Morales-Vasquez posted uh, that you were in the paper this week. And, oh, uh, good yeah, Lord. Yeah, I'm supposed Are to you ask serious? you about it because I was wondering if you were in the wanted section or if they listed you still as the mad peeper or, you know, <laughs> whatever. But uh, oh, I cannot believe you did that to me, Patti. That's awesome. Uh, no. So I'm not sure if you've heard of this new game that's going around called Pokemon Go. I vaguely <laughs> heard a passing reference to it every six seconds on Facebook. Yes. Well, you know, I'm in like right now I'm in the the hub of downtown San Antonio. I'm in this place called uh, the Rackspace Open Cloud Academy. And we have a lot of different uh, tech building or tech companies in the same building. It's like a hub for entrepreneurship and and, uh, innovation for technology and a lot of small companies and startups there. And uh, because of the nature of the people that are there, you have a lot of people that are really into the geek kind of culture. And I'm completely inundated in it. And I decided, you know what, let me give Pokemon Go a try. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of addictive, man. So it is. I, I was, I, I'm sorry. It is. You're right. It really is. I'm a 35-year-old man chasing after Pikachu, and that just ain't right. But either way. <laughs> I've got a bragging I'll, point, actually, before you go further with that. I, I, I also i am a 46-year-old guy that's in playing Pokemon Go. And uh, Pikachu was actually my very first Pokemon I caught. Really? Absolutely not kidding. Not not That's even awesome. joking. And uh, I don't I don't know if I should real should I reveal the secret to our listeners about how they can get Pikachu as their first Pokemon. Do you think I should tell? Go them? ahead. Might as well. I'm sorry, guys. We're turning this into the Pokemon podcast, but just to listen out for a moment. <laughs> well, basically, all you have to do is ignore the first three spawns, and guess what? Pikachu shows up. So he was yeah. last. He was. That's but anyway, awesome. so you were in the paper over Pokemon. What were you going to say, George? Oh, I, I wanted to tell you about something. Uh, we were just uh, hanging out at this uh, open-air bar Friday night, and all of a sudden down the street there's like 50 people with their smartphones out chasing, uh, you know, and they're stopping in for beers, but they're chasing this Poke. They're doing the Pokemon Go game. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Dude, where was this at? At Latuna. Where's that at, though? What part of town? Uh, um, Pretty much by downtown, by the King William District. Yeah, they have a whole bunch of pub crawls that are also Pokemon pub crawls, and it's hilarious. But either way, so I'm playing Pokemon with my classmates, and I'm downtown. And for lunch, we get about an hour and a half. So I walk over to the Alamo, and I start – There's the Alamo is a gym, a Pokemon gym. So you can fight for control of the Alamo. So I'm, of course, defending the Alamo. No, hold up, hold up. Didn't didn't history have a different take on that? Yeah, yeah, it did. We're going to talk about that. Yeah, well, anyway, I took over the Alamo and uh, defended the Alamo. And while I was there playing, this guy from Express, San Antonio Express News comes up and he decides to interview me. 
And so I'm in the paper talking about Pokemon Go. My picture's in the paper. It was wow. actually that it was a Tuesday. So talk about a slow news day. But yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> we, but but anyway, we, we digress. Let's go ahead and get back yeah. on topic and uh, let's kind of focus in. And uh, Jason, if you would check the message I sent you in Skype, this can be edited out later. Um, but we'll kind of roll from here. So no with that being said, tonight we're going to be talking about some very common misconceptions that are believed to be fact dealing with the paranormal world. Now, I do want to take a moment to recognize somebody that I did see just logged in, a good friend of mine and a lady. I got the uh, honor of investigating with her and her husband a while back. Um, we actually all went to Moundsville State Penitentiary together, and you know that is one of my favorite locations. But uh, Heidi uh, Dressaker just joined us in the chat room. So, Heidi, please make yourself welcome. We are thrilled to have you here, and I hope both of you, you and Rob, are both listening in. So, um, But, Jason, I was thinking maybe we could just start, start with, I don't know, one of the topics that um, – it's almost been like, I hate to say this, but a hot button. I've had a lot of people talk to me about the relevance of uh, an electromagnetic field when it comes to dealing with a paranormal encounter. In other words, does a high EMF or EMF spike automatically equate to a haunting? So what would your take be on this? Well, you know what? I'm actually going to kick this one over to George because I want to know what our special guest thinks about this. So does an EMF reading automatically indicate – what was the question, Rob? Does it indicate a haunting or a ghost presence? Uh, or? Uh, yeah, a ghost. That's pretty much what they uh, – I was actually approached with this question. And it was an, a, another investigator came to me and said, hey, because I'm getting an EMF spike, is it safe to say that this home is haunted? And it turns out that that is a very – I don't want to say ingrained at this point, but I think it's starting to get to that point where people believe that just because they're getting an EMF fluctuation or a spike, that it means that it's a haunted location. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I, uh, I don't, I don't believe just because you get a, a high EMF a spike that it's a, it's, it's, it's proof of a haunting. Um, now, if I've had situations where there's no electricity in a home and I'm getting uh, high EMF spikes, then that may be something. But uh, as far as uh, just because you have a, a, a high EMF spike, uh, yeah, no, not necessarily. Right. Yeah, I'm on the same boat. So essentially, when you're when you're doing an investigation, you're walking through a home, and you do go through, you do get an EMF spike. What you want to do, of course, is start instantly trying to debunk it. Look around to see if there's wiring right. exposed. Uh, go ahead. We just we just had a case where. Uh, we had high EMF, and we couldn't figure out why for like 30 minutes until we discovered that what looked like a clock radio was actually a Wi-Fi, uh, what do you call it, like a... a um, An extender, a yeah, Wi-Fi extender. Like a Wi-Fi yeah. extender, and that's what was giving off high EMF. So, no, yeah. Yeah, and but to George's point, though, if you do get an EMF spike and it's a house that's abandoned or a building that's abandoned, there's no electrical power being transmitted through there, that's a pretty good indicator of possibly of something. Right. But even then, Rob, what do you think? Do you think EMF is required for a ghost to appear or do you think that's definitely a sign of one? I wouldn't say it's definitely a sign. I mean, I, I use the same example when we talk about orbs. Just because you see an orb in a haunted location doesn't necessarily equate to the fact that orbs are substantial proof of a haunting. It's kind of in the same way. If you walk into a home and you see a potted plant in there, you're making the same assumption that everywhere you see a potted plant, there's going to be a spirit. Um, to me, EMF can be a great tool, but you know, looking at it realistically, we do not have as investigators hardcore proof that an electromagnetic field can even be generated or manipulated by a spirit. It's actually a 
I don't know. I don't know. Would you even call it a working theory at this point or more of a just processed belief? I think it's a working hypothesis. Yeah, uh, I think it's, hypothesis. it's hard to go with theory. Using the scientific method or a scientific definition of theory, that's tough. Because the right. scientific theory is something that's been proven over and again, so or or at least through through experiments and through mathematical models and things of that nature, and that's something that we have not done in the paranormal field, at least to my knowledge. I haven't heard of any uh, large scale EMF uh, studies or anything like that being done by anyone in the paranormal field specifically. So I don't know. I haven't heard any of that, but I, I would say that it's something that we're using as a as a tool that we can you know, try to get a better grasp, but you know. In all honesty, um, and, and I've got to agree with Heidi on this. She put a, uh, a great quote in uh, chat right now. EMF is a good jumping off place. It's an indicator that something unusual is there, much in the way that a fever can be an indication that something's going on in a patient. But you're making an assumption that just because that patient has a fever that it's viral. It could be bacterial. It could be any other source that's causing that temperature change. We have to look at other surrounding aspects before we can make a definitive decision on whether or not there is actual activity in that area or if it's just a random spike created by some weird type of geographical shift. I mean, a lot of things can produce an EMF field. Am I wrong? Right. No, a lot of things can produce uh, EMF fields. Uh, the thing is, is that you just have to be conscious of, of uh, you know, your surroundings. You have to be conscious of the structure itself as well as so whether or not, yeah, as you said earlier, whether or not you have power, whether or not there's exposed wiring, how old is the wiring? things of that nature, what kind of structure it was. If you're in an old radio station, then there's a lot of good chances there's going to be a lot of EMF uh, uh, producing open wiring and circuits from the old equipment that was ripped out before they actually closed it down. So, yeah. Right. Uh, and, and to answer uh, the real Kim Shady's question, the question that she posed is, is there a tool or a piece of equipment out there to detect wiring or that sort uh, in a home or a building? And, you know, in all honesty, EMF fields can be used to do that because I don't care how yes. well shielded a wire is. It's still going to have at least a small leading field. And that's where the technology actually comes from. Totally. E EMF detectors were used by electricians to try to locate wiring and especially spots where the wiring may have a short or some type of a, uh, a, I'll say a break for lack of a better term, um, because it actually will go through the wiring at that point and cause a spike. So, yes, we can find those types of leads. We've actually done that before in, in real-world situations where you're in a home. And, uh, sure. But, you know, it's, it's part of the picture. It's not the entire picture. I guess that's kind of what I'm getting at. George, I'm sorry. What were you going to say, bud? Uh, uh, no problem. I, um, what I was going to say is uh, this last team that I was on, they, uh, their, their thought was where you get a high uh, EMF field, you will get EVPs. And I've never seen that being the case. And I just wanted to throw this out there as a kind of an add-on. And I'm like, I don't agree with that. Just because you get a high, just because you have a high EMF field, doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get more EVPs or anything of that nature. And like I said, I just wanted to kind of throw that as an add-on. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, once again, they can happen concurrently because we actually have had that happen, but it's the rarity. It's not the norm. So. Uh, you know, j any other good thoughts you have on there, Jason? Well, no, but I did. I did like the idea that you brought up about the orbs, though, because you did mention orbs slightly, and I think that's another one that you're looking at on your list, right? You had another thing about orbs on yeah, there. Yeah, actually, you? I actually I did, and it kind of goes hand in hand with the first topic that we looked at. Um, a lot of people will point to orbs and say, okay, first of all, we'll get into what an orb is momentarily, and I know the experienced investigators out there probably have varying opinions on this, but. 
people will automatically tell me that because they took a picture of an orb, there's a haunting. Okay, now what an orb actually is, orb is a little ball of energy. Or, and this is what gets people. It's a big or. It's a big or. It's a speck of dust. It could be a bug. It could be a reflection off of a moisture particle. It could be 900 different things. Right. Orbs are almost a catch-all category, wouldn't you say? Yeah, totally. Absolutely. What do you think, George? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, orbs just, uh, yeah, it is pretty much a catch-all. Yeah, Yeah, the thing about orbs is that people love to talk about them because they're the most commonly obtained piece of paranormal evidence. I mean, you have have people taking pictures all the time. Well, I shouldn't say paranormal. I should say, quote-unquote, paranormal evidence because you you get a lot of instances of people taking pictures and like, oh, look, I got a ghost orb. It's my first ghost picture. And and George, what do you think about orbs? Do you think that is a piece of paranormal proof? No, no. Me personally, I don't – unless that orb is doing something tremendous – like, I mean, I, I've recorded an orb on, on my camcorder where it's come down, stopped, hovered, and then changed direction, totally changed direction. Then I might put something into it. But but just like an orb in general, a picture of an orb, and most people say, uh, oh, this orb has a face in it. It's like, you know, I, I don't put very much into them. I just don't. Yeah, I mean, the orb in and of itself, I would never see an orb. And I think we've said this several times on the show. I would never get an orb photo and be like totally evidence of the paranormal. I would never use that in and of itself as proof right. of the paranormal. If I ever, and I have for the record never used an orb uh, ever, ever as a piece of evidence. I acknowledge that other people do. And, um, you know, that's your call to a degree. I respect that. But um, I, I personally would have to have that orb would have to be some do something astounding or be at least tied to an event that was astounding. For instance, if you see an orb floating down towards a door handle and it changes direction, it changes color or something, and then the door opens, okay, fine. Right. Then I can include that as part of the evidence reveal and that that's a piece of corroborating it's stuff. Lead into something. Right. It's a paranormal proof at that point. But, you know, but prior to that, I'm, I'm not I'm not buying it, unfortunately. I'm not too big of a believer in orbs personally, but I understand that a lot of people out there are. Um, so I, would you I say can, I can actually give you an example of the one time that I actually showed a client an orb. And it wasn't even at that point. I put the disclaimer, please don't read too much into this because orbs can be naturally occurring phenomena as well. But, and I'm getting ready to answer two questions in the chat room as we speak, okay? Um, We did capture an orb, not only on video in a residence, but we actually saw it optically. We saw it with our own eyes. Me and another investigator were in a basement investigating, and we saw this literal glowing ball of red light raise up through the floor and float up, hover, and then move out sideways. So it literally moved almost at a 90-degree angle. And we actually did catch it. But I put the disclaimer in there to the client, listen, we're not claiming this is anything spiritual, but this is just really too cool not to share with you because this could just be a naturally occurring phenomenon. Ball lightning is a great example of what an orb actually is, by the way. Um, yeah. But when I showed it to her, she was like, that's actually kind of amazing. So can orbs be associated to a haunted location? Well, yes, they can. Anytime there's an energy exchange. There can be a production of something that is a, a floating energy mass. But, you know, with that being said, I would really be very hesitant. That orb would have to walk up, shake my hand. I'd have to pick up an EVP while I'm watching it manipulate a magazine on a desktop before I'm going to say, okay, we've got something here. <laughs> I mean, literally, because 
there's just so many things that can show up as an orb. There's so many tricks that the eye can play on you. I mean, realistically, how many times have you guys been out at night and a car driving down the road will catch a reflector across the uh, street that you didn't even know was there? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So things of that nature can actually occur and happen. And if you're using infrared technology or uh, full spectrum technology, you can get some really, really bizarre reflections happening. So I think that they're risky at best. That would be my best yeah. assessment was risky. Yeah. One thing to do, guys, if you are thinking about uh, – if, if you want to be able to, to, to debunk orbs, and, you, and especially when you're using your own equipment, the best thing to do is when you get a piece of equipment, play with that sucker. I mean do everything uh, like mess with that camera. I was about to say do everything in front of that camera. <clears throat> anyway, so <laughs> – Leave your personal life out of this, Jason. I mean, hey, it has night vision. But anyway, no, um, <laughs> play around with that camera and get, get used to how things appear. Uh, set the camera up. Throw dust in front of it while you're outside or even at night. Shine light onto it. Rain, sparkle, shoot. Uh, use your, your garden hose to spray water into the air and see how the mist reacts. Blow smoke so, in front of it. Yeah, smoke in front yeah. of it too. Yeah, totally. That way you become accustomed and acquainted to how your specific piece of equipment perceives that kind of, of visual data. And uh, Rob, your your instance uh, and your your version of the orb that yeah that's that's the one I would have included as well. It, it, was, it was amazing. I, I mean, I have to tell you, me and another seasoned investigator were sitting there, and we both just kind of looked at each other, and I was like, "Did we really just see that?" And she said, "Are you talking about the ball that raised up out of the floor?" I said, "What color was it?" She said, "Red," and I said, "Yep, that was it." And yeah. we both literally saw it rise up through the floor, stop, hover, and then move out through the room that we were in. It was, it was amazing. There was almost an electricity in the air, too, which is part of the reason why I'm not still convinced it was paranormal because of the amount of energy in the air. I mean, hair was standing up on my arms, um, you know, so you could feel a charge. It could have been a natural dispersion. I don't know. But it was definitely something to see. Remind me, Jason, one of these days I'll show you the video. I've still got the video. I'll show it to you. I think what I have had happen was... Uh I have seen it like a light come up on a wall that there's no reason for this light to be there. And it, it's a, it was a, a completely enclosed building. There were no windows. Right. And I mean, so, of course, no, I can't say that was an orb per se, but it was just, how amazing is that? There's this little dim light lights up. It was almost like a flashlight running out of power. And so it didn't light up real light, but when you're in a pitch black room, I mean, I've had that happen, but I can't say that was an orb. I can say it was an awesome sight. Yeah, that is pretty outstanding. Yeah, Yeah, I like that. It reminds me, we were uh, investigating a uh, battlefield in uh, Kentucky, and um, it was actually, I was was a, a speaker at an event that was there. And uh, part of the VIP package was they got to actually investigate with us afterwards in this great battlefield. And I've got a group of four people with me, and all four of us see what looks like a dim flashlight moving. And we thought somebody was coming to tell us it was time to go. And I've told this story on here before, but I'm going to run through it real fast again. When we walked out of the trees into the clearing where we saw it, there was nothing there, and nobody was within 150 yards of us. So what I saw that night, the only thing I can think is where it was a battlefield. It may have been a lantern that we were seeing that was part of a, I'm going to say maybe a residual type haunting where you're seeing something that happened before. Um, Or or we may have seen a spirit walking through holding a lantern, but the lighting on it was that yellowish tint that you would expect from a a flame-based light. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I like that. Wow. Yeah. No kidding. So, yeah, to answer Kim's question or or, uh, uh, have – 
Uh, do any of you believe in orbs? I mean, yeah, I, I, I think in, <laughs> the guy that's never used it as a piece of evidence, I think it's possible. I just personally haven't seen or captured any evidence where I think it is uh, a proof of the paranormal, but I think it's possible. Uh, I know other people have, have cap people that I respect their opinion of. They say that they have captured an orb, and I respect that. So, I mean, I, I guess, but um, I, I'm personally, I've, I've never captured one uh, that, that works. I mean, uh, she also brings up the Marfa lights. I mean, yeah, Marfa lights, that's an example. Are you familiar with the Marfa lights, Rob? Uh, yeah, actually, um, I spoke to somebody that is an air in an area very, very similar to this, where some strange and unusual lighting occurs. They'll see uh, balls of light in the air, or uh, you know, floating close to ground level. So, I mean, those type of phenomenon could be very, very well related to an orb type production, where it's a natural energy release. I guess you could say. Yeah, well, essentially what they are, near U.S. Route 67 on Mitchell Flat, east of Marfa, Texas, we actually have some light anomalies that are occurring. Uh, people are attributing them to the uh, spirits or, or ghosts of Native Americans that uh, were in the area at one point, although others have said they're possibly UFOs. There's theories that, there's, that they're will-o'-the-wisps or will-o'-wisps. We're not sure. Um, however, uh, scientists have actually tried even using spectroscopic equipment to observe the lights uh, from their viewing station. And uh, some of them, they, their, their findings during that investigation from the Texas State University said they could have been mistaken for lights of unknown origin. So uh, for the most part, they did find some that were automobile headlights or even small fires, but um, a few of them unknown. So that's, that's interesting. There's a little bit of room there for the paranormal. So, uh, yeah, And there have been recordings of lights all over the world, though. You have the Naga fireballs in South America. Right. We covered that on the show, actually, lights. if you remember. Yeah, and they have lights in Iceland, uh, parts of Iceland, I believe it is. There's some streams of lights, multicolored ribbon lights. And these are known to be natural phenomena. So, uh, and they're, 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 the, the, the instance in, in Northern Europe, though, they don't know exactly what's causing those, but they have seen light phenomena regularly there. And it's really interesting to catch that kind of thing. So that's kind of an orbish kind of uh, phenomena, I guess. Here's the problem. And when you get into these types of areas, you're, you're dealing with a very wide open out type of area where anything can carry. Um, sound, light, you name it. It actually has a much longer reach than people think. So when you're seeing these things off in the distance, you could be seeing literally somebody going through the other side of the woods looking for what you're looking for with a flashlight. Um, <laughs> yes. I mean, it makes it very, very difficult to categorize them. And I'm going to go back to something else real quick that Heidi said in chat. Orbs are a gray area. I completely yep. agree with that. I don't think yep. they're credible enough to be used as evidence personally. And once again, that's my personal take. Please, if you feel like these are credible evidence, do what you feel is best for the field. Okay, that's always been my stance with this. It's just my personal opinion. I don't really consider them much as far as evidence goes, just for the simple fact there's something that can occur naturally. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're absolutely right. Now, the other thing is that I brought up a, 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 um, uh, the, the study that was done uh, previously on the Marfa lights, and uh, that actually begs one of the questions that I had or one of the misconceptions that I had. And, and one of the, uh, the misconceptions is that science cannot be used to investigate the paranormal. Which is just patently false. I mean, Absolutely. you can use scientific methods similar to what the students did from Texas State University to investigate paranormal instances or findings. I mean, everything essentially is paranormal until it's scientifically classified, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, mean, I'm, one of the oldest examples that I use is up until the early 1900s, gorillas were believed to be a myth because nobody had actually seen one. 
So at that point, gorillas would have fallen into the category of a paranormal creature or a cryptid. Now they're yeah, a proven absolutely. fact. Totally. I mean, science can be used to investigate all, si- all manner of things. It's, it's what we use to explain the world around us. So, uh, of course, science can be used to investigate the paranormal. I encourage its use to investigate the paranormal. We use scientific method in our practices as paranormal professionals to, to look into things and sightings and hauntings. So. We, also, we also use just the, 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 the thought process even of, of uh, coming, coming at it from a empirical of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, point of view. We, we, um, I just want to throw those two things in. <laughs> no, that's true. No, that's a fact. We, we do use that, that thought process in order to, uh, you know, create the, uh, excuse me, create in order to properly um, uh, categorize, study the, the, the phenomena that we're exploring and that we're investigating. So same type uh, of, it's the same type of testing that a scientist would use when trying to either prove or disprove a, prove a theorem. Right, right, right. Precisely. I, I have a real quick question. Uh, being that that parent, the, you know, the, the study of the paranormal is in it basically its infancy. Do you do you believe that um, in order to prove something, in some cases, it would almost have to contradict itself in some ways because we don't know enough about it. it I- I think it's healthy whenever you have one theory that possibly contradicts another. I think that's a healthy discussion because it does generate, does generate, excuse me, a discussion right. on the paranormal. I think it's good whenever we disagree with each other, uh, as long as we do it respectfully. Sure. <laughs> but well, and, and Jason, I, how many times have you and I sat here and talked about each other's personal beliefs on this show? Um, that's part of the reason you and I have such a great dynamic is we don't agree on every aspect of what we do. However. You and I are both willing to hear each other out and grow and learn from the yeah. experience. And that's what's needed in this field is an understanding. You may not have the same beliefs as somebody else. And actually, it's kind of moving into another topic that I had picked for tonight. It's kind of weird how this is working out. Sure. Um, but, it, you know, when people have a different a different belief system, whether it be philosophically or religiously, you have to be respectful of what they have. You have to be respectful of their approach, and you have to be respectful of what they tell you. You don't necessarily have to agree with it. Jason and I have said many times on this show, we've had guests on here that honestly, I'm not going to point out names, of course, but we just were shaking our heads at each other saying, what are they talking about? But at the same time, we were respectful of their thoughts and their beliefs. And well, yeah, That's kind of the point be. of the show, though. The, the, we're, the point of the show is to, to have other people's beliefs and ideas put out there. Even if we don't necessarily subscribe to them 100%, we want this to be a platform for everybody to express their beliefs and, and thoughts on the paranormal. We're kind of trying to create that discussion. So the bread and butter right. of the show are people disagreeing with each other and, right. and you know, putting forward different thoughts. On I, I, I hate to put it this way, but this, this is the way I've... I've um... Once I, I was reading a book about Buddha one time, and and one of the, one of the teachings was um, never put down another man's religion or belief structure because it weakens your own. Absolutely, so that's true. I like I, that. I, I kind of I kind of see everything in that aspect. It's like you know, just because I don't believe with everything you believe in the paranormal world, I'm not going to put it down because you know who, who am I? You know. Yeah, you're George Aguilar. Just want to yeah, make sure you're absolutely. aware. You just remember that. You need, Jason, you, you need to make him a name tag. If he's written or sew it in the line of his under, underwear. That's up to you if you want to go that far. But yeah, yeah. yeah it'll help. It'll help. <laughs> wow. No, but that's a good point, though. A point, point, point made. It's it's true. I mean, the idea of, I mean, 
don't disparage somebody outright and call them stupid or call them right. ignorant or just say that they're, you know, just do ab- ad hominem attacks on them, attacking their person. I mean, it, look at the idea, take it and either accept it or reject it based on the, the, your, your level of proof, what you feel your personal level of proof is, which hopefully is high. If you're a paranormal investigator, we should be more skeptic than the skeptics. Honestly. Absolutely. You have to put it up to test it. If you think you're going in to find a ghost, everything you hear is a ghost. So you have to approach it with a, I'm not even going to say skeptic. I'm going to say with a neutrality, because if you're a skeptic, you're not going to believe evidence no matter what you get. If you're a true skeptic, okay. Neutrality gives you the option to be proven one way or another, and I like the neutral approach. You know, you have to be. It's a fine line we have to walk. You have to be, you know, close-minded enough to not have a predetermined, you know, or a uh, a. Uh, complete switch of how you feel about your personal beliefs but please don't be so open-minded that your brain falls out and you take everything in as if it's the gospel okay there, there it's really right. a fine line you have to walk right no absolutely absolutely and uh rob did you already state what your other what your other point was regarding no that? but uh, we can go ahead and move into that if you like because actually I've, this is another one that i've actually had brought to me personally is that all spirits that we run into are demonic in nature and I know this is kind of treading on a more of a religious belief, but right. um, I think it's kind of important we discuss this once again with that neutrality and kind of talk about what these entities could be. And I'm going to use the term entities kind of loosely here. Um, it might be a good place for you to start, George. Uh, what do you think? What would your response be? And I don't know if you've actually had this question or not, but I've had this at lectures that I've done as well as people's uh, that have contacted me for help. What do you tell someone if they say, well, there's something in my home, so it has to be demonic. Everything that's not flesh is dark. What do you tell somebody like that? Uh, well, I mean, it, it depends if they're like 100%. I mean, if that is their belief 100%, no matter what you tell them, they're not going to change their mind. Well, then I don't even try <laughs> in some cases. But it's like right. if they're willing to listen to you, you... uh you know, you just you just explain to them like you know, I mean, just the fact that how, how do I put this like like um, if you think from a scientific standpoint, ghosts are supposed to be energy. Energy is never supposed to go away; it, it only can change its form. I guess it is. So if you want to come at it from that way, but uh, okay, I'm kind of lost now. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to our world, George. <laughs> yes, yeah, no problem, man. No, I mean. Restate the question, Rob. Restate the question for us. Yes, we can respark that. Absolutely. What would your open response be to somebody that approaches you and says, there is something in my home and it must be demonic because that's my feeling on it? Let's not look at it as somebody, and I'm going to use this, please forgive me for this term, but I'm not looking at it as an aspect of somebody coming to you as a, a zealot that believes this is it positive. This is a scared client coming to you saying, you know, from what I've been told or taught or from what I've watched on TV, it's got to be, it's got to be the D word. It's got to be a demon. It's, that's all there is out there. What, what, what is your belief on it? Well, my, my belief as far as that goes is that uh, any, anything demonic, demonic happenings in general are just very rare. Yeah. Exactly. Very rare. I mean, I've I know that they happen, but to say everything is demonic, no, no, there, there's just no way. 
You know, I mean, that's that's pretty much my belief. That's what I believe. Yeah, the rare, the obscurity and the rarity right. of it pretty much puts that as a, a, a remote possibility. Right. But if somebody were to come to me and say, "I think my house is being possessed, or, or I'm, I'm being oppressed by a demonic force or entity," I wouldn't call them stupid. I wouldn't no, call them no. ignorant. I would, like I said earlier, I would uh, simply, you know, counsel them. I would ask them, you know, what. What has he been experiencing? I'd be there for them to talk to them because a lot of people in those situations, whether it be a spiritual haunting or a bona fide demonic presence or entity, want someone to talk to first off because a lot of people wouldn't believe them or take them seriously. And uh, if you go up there with a moniker of paranormal investigator, they're going to assume that they can talk to you about it. And I would definitely provide an ear for them to 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 to, to uh, speak to and to a shoulder for them to talk to you or at least to rely lean on. And uh, I would not disparage their beliefs outright. That being said, right. I would direct them and steer them to an understanding that its chances are it's not going to be demonic. You know, you, there's too, too many other things that could be happening. And in fact, the the haunting itself, if it is haunted and it's not demonic, the haunting itself could be very well just be benign. Yeah. You know, the 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 fact that the fact that you actually have the belief that it's demonic. You might be misinterpreting the phenomena as being evil when in reality there's nothing evil about it. You're just scared. It it, it seems like people are are quicker to believe in demonic forces than it seems like anything else. But my question would be how much of that goes back to their initial education as far as I guess we'll call it a, a spiritual indoctrination into a belief of a higher power. How much of that can be traced back to that, and how much of that is actually propagated by the paranormal shows or for even horror movies at this point? Well, I think a vast majority of a person's belief in the demonic would stem from their religious upbringing and their and their um, ethnic, and I wouldn't say ethnic upbringing, but their uh, cultural upbringing. I mean, if you have a culture that believes in demonic entities. Chances are you're probably going to ascribe demonic or, or paranormal uh, happenings to a demonic entity. But if you believe you don't believe in demons whatsoever, then of course you don't believe that it's demonic. You, you might believe that it's spirit, that's a ghost or even something that's naturally occurring. So yeah, I think a a large majority of what people of whether or not people believe it's demonic force will stem from their cultural upbringing and their surroundings and who they're with and their things. So, yeah, I, I don't necessarily agree with that though because. The way the movies are nowadays, the way the movies are nowadays, they put a lot of emphasis on that kind of stuff. The, you know, the, the elongated hand coming out and grabbing you, you know, all that kind of thing, the, the distorted bodies. And, you know, and that's what people have in their mind as being what looks like a, would, would look like what a demonic entity would look like if it was to show itself to you. So I think a lot of it has to do with movies, but not all of it, but a lot of it. Well, you yeah, know, and like, kind of building on what George said, even if you bring this into the UFOlogy aspect of it, once people started describing what a gray looked like, and for those of you who are not familiar, it's a small gray alien, very large eyes, uh, almost uh, you know, three to four feet tall, that became the public perception of what it was. It started in movies, it moved to the belief, and now there's a lot of people that actually report it to the point that they have their own terminology, and the nomenclature for it is the grays. Um, so I, I think it has more of an impact even subconsciously than than we're kind of admitting on that point, Jason. Yep. And Heidi actually made a good point. Educating people on the difference between the two is really important. Uh, Patricia's question, though, is relevant. She says, then there's the demon passing as a former person. 
Does that happen a lot where you have a demonic entity? Uh, I'm actually going gonna, gonna to put this to you, Rob. What do you think? Does that happen a lot where you have a demonic entity trying to pass off as a spirit of somebody that was human or alive at one point? There's a, there's a type of spirit out there that's called a mimic. Um, and Jason, I know you've had a personal experience with a mimic as well. I've, I've run into a couple. I don't believe they're dem- they are demonic in nature. With that being said, I believe it is possible but um, and I know Patricia, you've been a long time listener of ours. You know I usually put things into a couple of categories. There's a big difference to me between possible and probable. Is it possible for it to happen? Yes. Is it possible for a tornado to touch down, suck up a shark, and drop it on the beach? Yes. Shark what is NATO. the likelihood of that happening? Very, very slim. Demonic interactions are very rare. Thankfully, they're very rare. Okay. For a demon to try to pass off as another person, especially to an investigator, I don't really see it happening because they're going to be more interested in trying to scare us out of the location to leave them alone. So I would say more likely if you run into somebody that's copying a former person, it's a type of a spirit known as a mimic. And Jason, if if you wouldn't care to uh, kind of expand on that, because once again, you did have a very real experience with a mimicking spirit. Yeah, and George is actually familiar with the team. He was. Were you on the team when we did that? Had that experience at the uh, Black Swan Inn with Michelle on the group with the shirt that you're wearing right now. The the, uh, the group we were with. Yeah, I I, uh, I went once with y'all, but um, I'm not sure if I was with y'all that time. that time. Well, it was our very first investigation on the Black Swan Inn as that particular group. But either way, um, what happened was is that I like to be the last person out whenever we're doing a group and we have our groups because I like to keep track of everybody there, kind of make sure that everyone's together and that we don't have anybody straying off for their own safety. You know, uh, for for reasons of their own safety. And uh, the leader of the group was this woman named Michelle, and she had been taking base level readings and walking around with the EMF detector, a thermometer, and a, pad, a pencil and pad. Well, uh, we were in the kitchen, and the kitchen uh, is a standalone in Victorian homes. The kitchen was separate from the rest of the structure. If a fire broke out in the Victorian kitchen, it wouldn't burn down the entire house. It would just burn down the kitchen. So um, while we were looking at the, the former kitchen, which is an external structure, as I explained earlier, uh, Michelle was taking base readings. And I turned to look to see if anybody was left in the kitchen. And I see her uh, walking uh, across the hall from one room. She smiled at me, looked back down at her, at her clipboard and walked across the hall into the other room. Well, as I'm waiting, I'm looking down the hall, waiting for her to come out. I get a tap on my shoulder. I turn around. It's Michelle. I say, hold on one minute. And I walk quickly quickly and hurriedly down the hall did you and just say look- quickly yeah i did say quickly okay. i walked quickly <laughs> i did again i walked hurriedly, <laughs> hurriedly down the hall to see if i could find her and sure enough no one was in the structure it was it was closed and there was only one exit from that particular building very small building as you can imagine but uh yeah no uh, that's my experience with a mimic or what people call a doppelganger uh I, to answer the question however of a demon passing off as a former person does that happen often no by virtue of the rarity of demonic episodes in general uh however i would not put it beyond a demonic entity to do that especially when you're doing an exorcism Fairly on fair. the initial yeah, on the initial investigation, no. A demon sometimes will actually lie low during an investigation in order to prevent the possible expulsion or in order to prevent – even make that person look crazy. Uh, they will do that in order to make the homeowner seem like that they're, that they're insane. And I think that's part of it is, you know, as that old saying is, those are the gods wish to destroy, they first drive insane. 
And, you know, you want to dis, uh, unseat that person's sense of self. And one way to do that is to destroy their credibility by not showing yourself when an investigator is present. So it is possible if you have a demonic presence that they'll either A, not show up, or B, try to pretend to be just a spirit. So you can treat it as a spirit. It is possible. But as I said before, simply that's a percentage of demonic presence. And the, the, the instance of demonic uh, episodes actually happening are very, very low and very remote. Thankfully. So not often, not often at all. No. Absolutely. That does bring us to something else, though, another question or misperception of the paranormal, and that is a black form or shadow entity as an evil entity. And George, what do you think? Do you think just because something is a black form or a shadow that it's automatically evil? No, I don't think so. I mean, I've dealt, I've, I've just recently dealt with, um, we did an investigation. I recently uh, had something actually follow me home. And I saw it, uh, well, I looked in the mirror and saw it standing behind me to be, you know, just get it out there. But Really? What did it look as, like? As, well, it looked like a, it was just a shape, a, a black shape. Black shadow. A black oh. shadow, yeah. And the way my house is set up, I had a light to the right, which means my shadow would have been to the left, but this thing was right behind me. And when it realized I could see it, it bolted. Oh, wow. I mean, it, it just like, boom, it was gone. So that to me tells me that, no, I don't, I don't think they're necessarily bad or evil or anything of that nature. Because I've, I've dealt with a few of them and, you know. Right. What do you think, Rob? Do you think that that means it's a black form or evil, or evil if it's automatically uh, uh, seen as a shadow entity? I don't believe so. And, you know, that to me, it almost goes into and I hate to use a hot button term for today, but it almost go, to me is almost like a racial profiling setup. Just because something looks a certain way <laughs> does not necessarily mean it is that way. We, for some reason in nature, in life, uh, historically, we associate dark forms with something evil, something nefarious, something... Uh, you know, that just is there to intend harm, hurt, and pain. And that's honestly not the truth. Um, really, the only way you're going to find out what a spirit's intentions are is to actually investigate and be around that spirit because until then, you're just jumping to a conclusion based off of a visual perspective. And that's something I think that's actually very dangerous because you go into a more of a defensive mode when that happens you are into a protective mode and you're not able really to get to the root cause i mean that could still be the spirit of a child it could be the spirit of a of an, an elderly lady it is just manifesting in that way because that's its nature if, so I, I got something to say if you want to uh talk about just uh stuff dark just being dark in general you ever you ever notice why i mean you, you ever notice that priests dress in black because, oh, that's true. Yeah, because, priests because, do dress up black. Because the color black is actually the color of protection. And oh. that and that's why they dress in black. Interesting. I, I don't know if you knew that. So just because something dark is dark doesn't necessarily mean it's evil, I don't believe. Right. And and, and that's funny. something we okay. have to keep in the back of our minds. I didn't mean to interrupt you, George. I apologize. But that is something we have to keep in the back of our minds that we cannot put our modern-day conception of things like colors or things of that nature into this type of field because you're dealing with uh, an entity for example that's say 150 years old back then what was normal to them is foreign to us yeah and not to mention that your cultural uh, uh bias that you're referring to rob about black being evil and white being good that's not universal uh no. in fact 
in Africa, some of the beliefs are that white is evil and that black is good. And then the reasoning behind that is because black is the color of rain clouds that will bring you rain and, and bring, uh, you know, fecundity and fertility to the surrounding area. The crops will grow with the black rain clouds. White is the color of bleach bones and drought. So you're going to have that where white is actually symbolic of evil, whereas black is is fertility and life. So, yeah, that's not a universal thing. And, and the spirit world doesn't necessarily mold itself to your personal belief structure. So, yeah, no, I wouldn't say that a black farmer shot on sees an evil entity either. I'll tell you what, man, you want to know evil? Just look for somebody in a pinstripe suit that works on Wall Street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Universal sign of near right. demonic entity. Yeah, there, there you go. Dun, dun, dun. That's a good one. I like that. I like that a lot. And you know, speaking of darkness and black forms, uh, this whole thing about investigating at night. I had somebody ask me, "Do we have to investigate at night?" No, absolutely not. You know, my my main reason for doing this, and I'm going to give you two reasons that I actually do this. Number one, during the nighttime. Depending on where you are, of course, things are usually quieter. More people are asleep. You don't have as much traffic, cars going by, horns honking, kids playing. It actually just gives us a clearer level of evidence. Um, Secondarily, if I'm sitting in a dark room, I'm not using my eyes for verification of what is there. So my other senses become more enhanced. Um, Feeling, touch, smell, they all pick up at a much, much stronger, stronger level. So, um, yeah, I mean, to me, that is the main reason behind doing that. And, uh, you know, do you guys have a different reason that you actually do this at night? Or is this, are you guys pretty much on the same path? Go ahead, George. What do you think? Yeah, I just, I I like doing it at night because, you know, I ain't got nothing going on. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, George, come on, man. Your dance card's full. You know that. No, no. It's like, like, okay, yeah, I'll do it at night because, you know, what else am I going (laughs) to (laughs) do? You know, I I agree with Rob. I think the main reason we do investigate is, well, first off, a lot of places that we're planning to investigate are businesses, private residences, and sometimes public areas where you cannot effectively do an investigation during the day. I mean, they got to do their thing. Right. Whether it be living, working, and or showing itself to the public as a public space like a, a mission or the Alamo or, you know, some other historical place or landmark. So the night investigations is more out of a, a necessity of, uh, of, of, you know, in order to facilitate the investigation. That being said, it's hard to make a uh, an observation in low light situations. We're not necessarily able to pick out details if it's relying on natural lighting for instance or if something falls in the distance down a dark hallway i'm not going to see that versus a well-lit hallway and no ghosts don't just come out at night in fact i think a majority of hauntings happen in broad daylight 24 hours a lot of a day. yeah it's 24 hours a day but i would venture to say even that the broad daylight is going to offer you a better chance of seeing a spirit than than, uh, nighttime. Don't think that just because the lights are on, the ghosts go away. And I'm sorry to all those that are listening right now in their homes and thinking their house is haunted and turn the lights on to throw it on. That's not necessarily going to work. Uh, Lights uh, being on aren't necessarily going to shoo away an evil spirit. Wait, wait, wait. So what you're telling me is 
a kukui would be there even in the daylight. The kukui is going to be there in the <laughs> oh, daylight, George. I'm man, sorry. They, my parents <laughs> lied to me. Kukui <laughs> <laughs> is, is uh, Spanish for like a, a boogie monster. So yeah, just boogie let you, in, case in case you're wondering. Yeah, I remember when I was a little kid, my parents had me convinced that there was a furnace monster that lived in the closet where the furnace was. They didn't want me getting in there because it was gas heat based. And they had me convinced. And they didn't tell me any different until I was about 35. I, 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 wow. I was so disappointed when I found out. Uh, too bad they didn't say anything about eating the lead paint, the paint chips there, Rob. It's a shame they couldn't come up with like a lead paint chip yeah, monster. I might have still had my Just, hair if that would have happened. But you know what, Jason? Yeah. We're right <laughs> at the halfway point. Wow. Already? So, yeah, it's gone pretty quick. And I mean, we've got a lot of topics left. You and I have discussed. It's turning out to be a, a great show. And we might be able to, uh, I don't know, continue this into a second episode somewhere down the road. But if you are listening to us right now, if you're within the sound of my voices, this is actually happening. Well, number one, kudos to you. Thank you for being here. But you're listening to us at one of two locations. You are either going to be hanging out with us at www.livingparanormal.com forward slash live. That's the home of our weekly show as well as our wonderful chat room that has been just amazing tonight. I really appreciate all the feedback, all of the uh, information brought in. If you're listening to us live in another location, you're one of those lucky devils hanging out over at freedomrocksradio.com. Freedomrocksradio.com is the home of some of the greatest music of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. If you're tired of some stuff suit somewhere giving you this pre-programmed playlist of what they think you should listen to, why don't you take a switch? Come and listen to some of the wonderful live DJs that will I'd be glad to. I love this saying, Jason, acquiesce your request. They're oh, going to play nice. what music you ask them to do live and probably even give you a shout out to all of their listeners. So we are very, very thrilled to have them as a partner in this. Jason, where else can they hear us? Well, if you're interested in hearing our past shows, then you can actually, you're in luck. We are available in so many places. It's awesome. We're available on Stitcher Radio. We're also available on your favorite podcast aggregator. Search for Living Paranormal. Click and subscribe. Rate and review if you have the opportunity to. And also, if you want to go and, and actually go to the home of Living Paranormal, more than welcome to our home anytime. It's livingparanormal.com. Click on past shows if you want to uh, find a past show and, and peruse all the topics we have available. Or if you have a topic in mind, I've tagged all of our shows. So all you have to do is just type in a topic in, in, in the search bar that's at the bottom of the home screen. Scroll on down. You'll find the search bar there. Type in either a topic, a person's name, a book name if you want to. Uh, and uh, it'll come right up uh, on the actual uh, search engine. It'll show you the shows. And if there's a, a book in our bookstore... Uh, that that matches your search term, it will pop up there as well. Please keep in mind, though, our bookstore is not for our benefit. We are not getting any proceeds uh, from the sale of those items. Oftentimes, they are pointing to third-party sites where you can purchase the book. We're just providing that as a resource. By the way, if you're searching our site, you find a link that's broken, which I haven't come across lately uh, yet. Uh, if you find a book that's no longer available on our site, please send us an email over at contact at livingpanormal.com so I can go ahead and repair that. In addition to that, you can use that email address if you want to be a guest on our show. If you have an idea for a show topic, if you have a question for us, please, by all means, send us an email. Uh, you can either send it to contact at livingpanormal.com or you can click on About Us on our webpage, which is available at livingpanormal.com. Click on About Us, scroll to the bottom there's a form there you can fill out hit enter clickety clack type send it over to us and we'll get that and we'll respond right back to you when we get a chance if you have a question that's going to be asked on the air or 
you have a comment that you want us to read out on the air, uh, please let us know if we can use your name on the air. Otherwise, we won't be able to give you credit for wonderful ideas. But those are all the locations I believe that we can subscribe to. And I, I do want to say that it is hilarious what Pati put up. She put Kukui 1, Rasa 0. So that's the score right now. Kukui has scored 1 over over us. So uh, either way, <laughs> I thought it was actually kind of interesting she said that. But stuff, uh, yeah, Rob, what's your next topic that you have uh, for your paranormal misconception? I mean, you know, a- after what we were talking about, honestly, there's so many directions that we could go. Um, but there is one I think that maybe we should uh, kind of point out because, again, I, I have been asked this one, uh, I, and it's uh, almost unnerving. Um, do investigators worship the devil? I have been accused of being a Satanist because I am a paranormal investigator. Yeah, now, to that all, I say, of course. I, I mean, hell, Satan. I'm just kidding. Go ahead, Ryan. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, have either of you, and I'll ask this of George first, have either of you had this misconception ever thrown right up in your face before? I actually have not, but I don't get a lot of people coming up and talking to me about the paranormal, naturally anyway, just because I guess I'm a formidable-looking gentleman, you know, a a big guy that, you know, looks like I'd hang around with like a 1% 1 or biker club, but, you know. uh, He really does look kind of tough. He's a big teddy bear, though. You're listening here. I've seen the photos. I I honestly, dude, I wouldn't want to run into you in a dark alley unless I knew you. (laughs) Honestly. well, well, just just know this: if you meet me in a dark alley, you know I, I usually have a flashlight, so I can light the way get <laughs> <you> out. <laughs> I'm that kind of guy. Yeah, he's a big softy. But when you're at your presentations, though, you do presentations, and you have also in the past when you were with Everyday Paranormal, you have been part of a lot of public investigations sure, as well. Sure. So, did you ever have anybody come up to you and and accuse you of having leanings towards the towards the dark side? I suppose you could say. But believe it or not, no, no. I mean, I, I guess. The, the one thing people want to know is what's the scariest thing I ever did? Never, you know, are you a demonic, you know, Satan worshiper or anything like that? Because, you know, if they asked me, I'd be like, no, I'm Catholic. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I'm on the other team. I'm on right, the good side. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. No, well, I guess it's not exactly a fair question for you either, because if people come up to you more during the paranormal investigations, chances are they're there because they don't believe they're doing anything evil. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess. But. Actually, it happened to me in a church, believe it or not. My dad was a pastor, as a lot of you know. And um, one of the members of his congregation found out that I was a paranormal investigator and actually left his church because he did not want to go to a church where a Satan worshiper went. Now, first of all, I oh, can I get on my high horse here for a second, Jason? Am I, am I cool? Yeah, you're cool. Do, 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 you do you. You do uh, you. Number one, <laughs> if a Satan worshiper comes into your church— and you're wanting to convert them, you went about it the wrong way, Slick. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Okay? <laughs> I'm sorry. This may be just be my thing, but, you know, I don't look at churches as uh, places for the saints. I look at it as hospitals for people that need help. And if you think somebody needs help, the last thing you want to do is shoot a patient in the emergency room. Okay. Number like two, that. before you come up to somebody and start making accusations, it's not a bad idea to find out what they're doing. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Be educated when you make your assumptions about people. Find out what they actually do. Find out where they lie in life. And you know what? You're going to be a much happier person. You're not going to have to leave as many places. So that's my (laughs) take. I mean, stay at your place of worship. I know. I'm sorry, man. You know, you you know, there was a. uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. There was a Christian comedian by the name of Mike Warnke. Love the guy. He was a hilarious dude, and he did a show. 
And he was at this large church, and this cult came in because he at one time was a Satanist high priest himself. They came in to hear his show because they knew him from the past. And the pastor said, don't block them. Let them come in and make them welcome. That's how you should be in your entire life. I don't care if it's about your religious beliefs, your political beliefs, or whatever else. If somebody is there to listen to what you have to say, then for the love of God, take that opportunity to tell them what you got to tell them. Because you don't come to this radio show to make accusations. You come here to interact and learn and help spread education. Approach life like that, guys. You'll be much happier. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And the thing about it is uh, I've, I've had somebody when I was – because I've been doing the paranormal for a long time. I did it when I was in high school and, and, uh, and people in my school that, that were close to me knew about it. But this born-again Christian student that was there, really good girl, really, really nice girl. But the definition of like a good kid, like straight A's, went to church, was constantly at church like almost every night of the week when they weren't extramural activities. She was a hardcore born-again Christian. And I respect her greatly. She's a very intelligent woman, but or uh, now a woman. But um, at the time, she came up to me and said, I cannot speak to you anymore because I know you do this. You talk to ghosts or try to – she assumed I, I communed with the spirits, so to speak. And she said that that's the realm of the devil and that you shouldn't be doing that. And that don't you know that your soul is in, is in jeopardy? And my response was all of our souls are in jeopardy. I mean, if, you, if you're religious and you believe that the devil is an incarnation of evil, then chances are the devil will tempt you at one point in time. And I don't mean to turn this into a religious podcast, but I mean, come on. If, if you believe that demons are possible or if you believe that the demons are, part, are, are Satan spawn or what have you, then what's to make you the exception on, on being attacked by that? Which leads us into another topic. Do, are the religious people never haunted? Do, or, or are they always haunted? Like, what, what do you think that a person's religious beliefs, do you think that they have an impact on whether or not they can be haunted, Rob? You know, that's kind of a slippery slope argument, Jason. It really is because I believe anybody can be haunted. Um, a lot of people that are exceptionally religious reject this field completely. And I kind of use, I've used this analogy before. I'll say it this way. If you stand in the middle of a field that has a bull in it and you tell the bull you don't believe in it, it's not going to stop you from getting gored. If you stand on the tracks and tell a train you don't believe in it, it's not going to stop the train from hitting you. It's the same thing with the spirit world. You may not believe in them, but they do have an effect around you. You might be able to explain it away. You know, I like the old joke, you know, when you're home alone, you try to blame every weird noise on your pets. You hear a loud crash coming from the other room and you go, must have been the fish. You know, so <laughs> I, I, I believe that uh, regardless of your spiritual beliefs or how strong your faith is, these type of things can and do happen. Um, the difference, I believe, it comes into the person's reaction and how they actually are able to uh, work with things and defend themselves in that realm. Right. I mean, I think it will definitely define your reaction and define the methods that you use to defend yourself. That's a fair point. But, um, you know, people saying that religious people are never haunted. Uh, no, that, or even if you choose to ignore it, that's not the case. I mean, let's say you're Catholic, okay, because it's my background is Catholicism, also Wiccanism. And, and uh, I actually have a copy of the Quran that I'm starting to go over now. But um, the idea is you... There, there have been cases in the past, religiously speaking, in religious dogma, where people that are very, very religious have been oftentimes targeted because of their extreme piety. 
I mean, you have instances of of Padre Pio, Father right. Father Pio, who was actually a stigma. Uh, he suffered from stigmata, but he was also very, very oppressed by demonic forces. He was constantly speaking about how he was being attacked. And it was because he was so close in his belief to to God. Uh, St. Anthony the Great also, uh, St. Anthony was, was um, uh, oppressed by and tormented by demons. And it was made famous by the torment of St. Anthony, a painting done by Michelangelo. Uh, you know, you have those instances, and you also have uh, uh, Annelies Michelle, uh, the exorcism of Annelies Michelle. She was very religious. She was highly religious, and she was uh, uh, purported to be oppressed by demonic forces and, and actually even became the subject of a, a modern-day movie, the, the exorcism of Emily Rose. So, I mean, you have people that are patently religious that, unfortunately, you're going to be the victim of, of, of hauntings or, or maybe even in that very rare instance, as we discussed earlier, a demonic attack. And, of course, everybody knows about demonic attacks as they make headlines. Right. But, yeah, Absolutely. it can happen. Something yeah, else, happen. too, to think about, it's even biblically referenced if you, if you do have a Christian uh, or even a Catholic background. If you think about the trials of Job, Job was attacked because of his faith. It wasn't because he was weak in faith. It was because he was strong in faith. So, you know— I'm sorry if uh, a figure from the Bible can suffer these types of attack. Just because you go to church doesn't mean you won't. You know, you know what I liked about that story about Job, or what I thought was interesting about the story of Job. What's that? Was how I don't know. I don't know if quaint is the word or casual. As as I believe it was the devil was talking to God at the beginning about talking about testing Job's faith. Right. How just nonchalant it was you right know? yeah it was no. like so you know you got this guy his name is joe yeah you know? yeah you almost, it's almost like they bet five bucks on it. right <laughs> yeah. exactly well, to be fair also that was that story is is older than catholicism and uh the, the it wasn't the devil that was doing that it was uh it's actually referred to in the original Hebrew as hasatan, which merely means the adversary. So somebody that's merely taking the opposite point of God's point of view. He just merely said, hey, this Job is so faithful. I bet the only reason he's faithful is because he has all this wonderful things. You know, it's because he's prospering, because he's doing – that's right. the only reason he's faithful when God's like – no, it's because of because I'm so awesome, and so that's when they put him to the test. But you're right; they were kind of blasé about it. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, you know, I it was, just it was almost put- like two old friends sitting talking over a beer. I mean, it, it really yeah. was. You know, <laughs> you know, you know what came to mind when I read it? Do you remember that that uh, Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd, where they were uh, there were traders on the stock market and they bet each other a dollar that they could bankrupt those trading guys? places? Yeah, oh, so, I love yeah. great movie. Yeah. That, that's kind of what it reminded me of. Like, You're right. here's a dollar, you know, you win a dollar. Yeah. And, you know, Eddie Murphy in that movie had all that happen to him and he had no idea what was going on. He had no idea why it was happening, which is similar to people that are suffering from paranormal oppression. I mean, they don't understand what's going on. They don't understand why. So your personal beliefs may not even come into it by right. that time. So, I mean, there's no reason to believe that because you're religious that you're immune to hauntings. But because you are religious and those that are listening that have religious leanings and beliefs, use that. You can use that. You have that tool. You have that uh, – I hate to say weapon, but you have that weapon to to combat the the oppression that you're currently being – that you're suffering from. Right. Use your faith. Use your beliefs in order to help 
you deal with that just like you would use your faith to, to deal with any any very difficult situation in your life. The, the paranormal is no exception to that. So absolutely fall back on that and use it. But no, to answer the question, I, I don't think so. Don't, and real fast, so. I'd like to point something out if you don't care. I want to shout out a big welcome to Willow. She just joined us in the chat room. Willow's a good friend of mine, Angie Lee's. I'm glad to have you here, Willow. Thank you for showing up. We do appreciate hey, it. Welcome. Yeah, but, you know, it, it brings me to another point that I actually had laid out and something I think that we really need to kind of um, impress on people. And that's the fact that the people that do this type of work, they fall under all religious headings. They're not just Christian. They're not just Catholic. They're not just pagan. They're not just insert flavor here. Okay. Right. It is literally a cornucopia of people that have come together to try to follow to the greatest truth that we can find. And that's what is beyond the veil. Um, but here is a good topic for this discussion. Jason, you're going to be so proud of me on this one. I'm so happy. About <laughs> okay. this one. What is it? What is it? I'm preparing to be proud. What's going on? You and I and George, we kind of all agree that our ability to fend off a dark entity and go into battle if needed is based off of our faith. Okay. What does that leave for the atheist? His logic. I mean, you you have – oh, man. That's a good question. That is a very good question. I told you you'd be proud of me, buddy. I didn't let yeah, you Yeah, I am. That's, that's an awesome <laughs> question. I am proud of you. Well done. Uh, the atheist or the skeptic, first off, is going to have to be convinced that he is being haunted. And uh, there's a lot to be said for that, though. I mean, uh, spirits and entities we found, and at least I found in my, in my experiences, and Rob, I think this mirrors your own, uh, and, and George as well, that spirits and entities will often feed off of, of uh, emotional energy. And also the, the situations that, that you find yourself in, they'll feed off of the household situation. And, and uh, like if you're going through a divorce or someone's cheated in the household, that, that energy, the high energy level spirits tend to feed off of in order to manifest. If you're a skeptic, a complete skeptic or an atheist, chances are you don't believe that ghost is real. It's not that it won't come to you, but the chance you've diminished the, uh, you've, you've given it less food or fuel right. to, for it to manifest itself. And so in a way you're kind of insulating yourself from attack. However, uh, it is up to that individual atheist in order to process that as they will. You know, you know, Rob, uh, Jay, we, we had an atheist on this team that I was on. And he was like, I mean, proclaimed atheist. I don't believe, you know, in, in this or that or the other. But we would tell him before an investigation, look, we, we realize you're atheist. We pray before an investigation and after. If you choose to, you're more than welcome. You're, you know, you just invite him. At least that's what we did. And, you know, he did. He actually, I think he was looking for something to believe in, if, if that, that makes happen. any sense. Yeah, that actually can happen. A lot of people are looking for the foundation to believe in. So, you know, I, I mean, to me, it does make sense that they would fall back on logic. But what do they do when logic fails? And that's where the problem is. If you're sitting in a room by yourself and something scratches you. And there's nobody near you. You're not close to a wall where it could have been a nail. You've got three scratches running down your left arm. What does the atheist fall back on at that point? Because, I mean, don't get me wrong. And I've worked with some atheists in this field before. And God love them. I'm glad they're here. Okay. But at the same time, do they have the ability to defend themselves as somebody with faith would? I mean, no. I mean, they don't have those tools that somebody with faith would. And in reality, what – I mean, wow. This can get pretty deep because yeah. the idea as to what your faith is truly worth 
You know, I mean, you have people that just mouth the prayers and mouth things and, and they go through the motions, so to speak, and don't have that firm belief. But I mean, really, as long as you have a firm sense of self, whether that be a person that's steeped in religion, whether they be a person that's firm in their logic, that's firm in their belief, not even logic. And let's stop using logic as if the atheists have a monopoly on that first off. Right. Because they don't. I mean, we are all logical creatures and beings. And Rob okay, and not, I are, not all, uh, realistically. Most, I, yeah, I've most. seen some of the voters that go out. I'm just leaving it there. Yeah. And a candidate, true, true. A, a unnamed candidate as well, does not have much logic on his side. But either way, uh, the thing is, is that uh, whatever it is that you feel about yourself, that's what's very, that's what's vital. Having a firm sense of who you are. Because if you're going to be suffering from an oppression, uh, and if it is malevolent, if it's benign, then it doesn't give a damn uh, what your belief structure is. If it's if it's if it's uh, a residual hunting, then it, uh, it's honestly it's happening right now, even right. if no one's there to see it. But if you are um, uh, an atheist and, and you're 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 getting something that's being oppressive, as long as you have a firm sense of self, that's one of the first things that an oppressive spirit has to overcome. It has to destroy who you think you are. Before it can impose its sense of what it wants you to be. So, you know, that, that's, that's what's most important, I believe, is that you, as long as you have a firm sense of self, whether you're atheist, whether you're religious or, the, or theist, that's, uh, that's what's most important. But it does actually segue handily into, into uh, uh, another, another abnormal topic. And, and before uh, you do this, let me point out, we did not compare these lists before we started. Okay, because it's, it's yeah. so weird. Everything seems to be flowing into the next thing that you and I picked. And we did not plan this out. This was one of those blind shows where we're like, let's just see what we come up with and kind of follow where it goes. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's it's true, though. I mean, the thing about that is that there, there's so many different types of ghosts. There's so many different types of spirits um, uh, that that your religious beliefs may not have a, a a category for them, and one of those hard to categorize events are what people commonly refer to as poltergeists. People automatically assume that when you have poltergeist activity, and poltergeist activity for for anybody that's listening is usually well. First off, poltergeist is German for noisy spirit. Uh, a, a hallmark of a poltergeist haunting is that you will hear, uh, you know, sometimes scratching sounds from the wall. You'll see things moving, being thrown around, uh, and it's very hectic. It's not typically it's not targeted. It's a, it's as if the the drawers will fly open, dishes will be thrown from one side of the room to the other, a uh, doll will be flung from the from the. Uh, the mantle place, hopefully in Rob's direction because he's afraid of them. But, you know, the idea that <laughs> that you have uh, a poltergeist haunting, uh, a lot of people aren't too sure as to what that truly means because there's a lot of theories as to what a poltergeist haunting truly is. And, and George, um, are, are you familiar with the two different ways that people typically categorize poltergeist hauntings? Um, not really good. I mean, because you have people that believe that it's a a spirit, a genuine spirit that is okay. that is really doing all of these things and and throwing things around. Possibly, cause, well, I shouldn't say two. There's three because one is that poltergeist type activity is a hallmark of. It's one of the things that the Catholic faith will look for. Uh, it, they, you know, not just Catholic, but people that are they're looking for demonic presences will look right. for uh, poltergeist type activity. Uh, scratches, sounding noises near the walls, sure, groans, yeah. footsteps, things of that nature. Uh, but the other thing that's a hallmark of poltergeist activity is a lot of physical objects being thrown around. So some people say 
because poltergeist activity usually occurs when there's a young person yeah. in the house, typically in a period of great stress, that it's actually a manifestation of telekinesis, that it's actually someone's ability to move things around us because of their, their heightened state. I've heard that, yeah. I mean, and there's been situations where we've dealt with that kind of thing where it's uh, usually uh, somebody young coming into their, I guess you would call it adulthood, they're pu- going through, I guess, puberty or whatever, you know, and, and uh, it just, they can, uh, without realizing they're doing it, they're causing it. Yeah. A- and usually it goes away within a certain amount of time and it's nothing, you know, real major, you know, but it's, it's, uh, they can't cause it. So yeah, you're what talking you, like a psychokinetic type of uh, activity, something that's actually caused by the subconscious, correct? Exactly, right, right. exactly. That's what, he were, we're, that's what we mean. Like, do you, do you believe that, Rob, that poltergeists are, are typically telekinetic or psycho, psychoactive occurrences, usually from around teenagers? Or do you think it's a type of haunting itself? I think anything that would fall under the poltergeist nomenclature, the header of that, about 99% of the time, that's going to be something that's actually self-generated. I believe that there are other types of spirits that cause those types of interactions. But if you're looking at a true, pure poltergeist-type activity, I'm, I'm almost always going to look towards, as George mentioned, a, a young woman that's getting ready to, to come into womanhood. In other words, she's going through puberty. Or in some very, I'll call this rarer cases, it happens with women that are going through the the change at the end of their reproductive cycle. Because the chemistry is completely thrown off in the body, there's an emotional outburst that they're not used to. It's a total physiological change. And that's usually when we see this type of activity happen around people. And as George said, it usually just stops on its own. You know, this is one of those instances where I'm actually going to have to disagree with the both of y'all to a degree, to a certain degree. Okay. Uh, and the only reason is because I have a a limited belief in psychic abilities. I have a very limited belief. In fact, now, first of all, hold up. There's a difference between psychic activity and this type of activity that's actually being an external cause. There's a difference between being psychic and this type of level. So we have to establish that as a point first. Okay, well, what do you mean? Okay. How would you define it? The difference between a psychic type of activity, if you're looking at somebody that is truly psychic, somebody like Reverend Robin, for example, they have the ability to see and to read. Okay, this to me is more of an innate, probably lost subconscious talent that we at one point had. Psychokinetic activity happens to where the the mind can not only cause external activity that would fall along the lines of a telekinetic type activity, but also more of a, and I'm trying to say this loosely not to offend anybody that's had this happen, but more of a hallucinogenic effect to them where they're actually experiencing these things, but they're only doing it subconsciously. It's not a physical interaction. So I think there's a much larger limit to what a um, poltergeist-type activity can do externally than there would be to a standard haunting, if that makes sense. A lot of what they experience, I believe, is actually subconscious. A lot of technical terms there. Dumb it down a little bit. Do you mean that it's going to – is it actually happening or not? It would only actually happen probably in 10 to 15% of cases. I'll say it that way. Most of what people experience when they do report this type of poltergeist activity – is something that does not have a physical manifestation. It does not physically occur, okay? In that rare 15%, I believe it may tap into something that's a subconscious, um, God, what's what I'm looking for here? 
a um, limited ability that we may have once had to actually manipulate the external area around us with our minds. You mean a latent ability? Latent. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, no, I disagree. Uh, and, and it's fine. It's fine. It's fine that we do that because I, I just I, – I'm sorry. I just don't think there are that many psychic teenagers walking around. I, I really don't. I, I don't think that there's the, – uh, I'm not sure if we have a latent ability to do things. Call me a more of a hard-nosed skeptic on this point. But I just uh, – I, I think that if you are having – I think the presence of a teenager or anybody, honestly, going through that kind of, of, of uh, emotional trauma – and really, the reason why we're teenagers, we think the world is freaking ending when our girlfriend or, bro- or boyfriend breaks up with us, is because this is the first time we're experiencing that. This is a new emotion to us. You know, it's a new thing to have somebody leave you by the side of the road with your pants in your left hand, your shirt in your right hand, and your underwear hanging from the antenna. You know, that's the first time that happens to everybody. Oh, uh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> It happens to us all, right? One time, at least once. And the no. first time that happens, it's devastating. But no, the fourth no, or fifth no. time, no. it's old hat. You know? you know? No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, we do – We whenever we experience things that change, it's really intense to us. It's our first time. And whenever you're, you have somebody that's that young going through something, I think that's enough emotional energy in the, in the home to manifest something. I really think it is. I, I, I don't know. I guess I guess I'm kind of I'm, I, I'm on the fence on this. I, I I can tell you this much: if there's that much emotional energy going into a house that I walk into and this is going on, yeah, I'm leaving. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like there's too much drama. You know? <laughs> Count, counting no. the s- kids, stepkids, and fiance, I got six women in this house. <laughs> what about the cat? Is a cat female or one is it female a- cat, one male cat, one female dog? I am. I please edit this out. I'm lactating as we speak. Okay, I mean it's bad. There's so Full much stop. estrogen in this well. house. Okay, there. Now I can edit that out. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but I, but it, but in a way, in a kind of an offhanded way, Jason, you're actually kind of agreeing with what I said. They are causing a manifestation. It's caused by their emotional state, and it is causing a physical interaction. Ergo. You you kind of tried to disagree with my theory, but agreed with it in an offhanded sort of different path, if that makes sense. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I did because, I mean, I just don't believe that it's possible for the most part. I don't think that it's possible to actually have, you know, a physical impact on your environment simply from psychic ability. I don't know, man. I just I personally haven't had enough evidence to support that theory. So I'm just going to say no. Okay. Well, but, you know, and it's good to keep that skeptical eye until you do, or you know, one way or another. You know, if you're able to disprove it, then yeah, you'll definitely. I've known you long enough to know your your technique and your style to it. Okay, so um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I so, guess I haven't had enough cases to form an opinion. Honestly, I haven't had enough poltergeist cases to form an opinion of it because it is pretty rare. I think. Have you had a lot of poltergeist cases, Rob? No. I'm, ironically enough, I've had more demonic cases than I have poltergeist, That's ironic, which is really actually. bizarre. What about you, uh, George? No, no, I, I don't. I've not. Haven't really had a whole lot of. Uh, well, I guess if you if you consider uh, getting your keys hidden in the wall, yeah, maybe that's poltergeist. In the wall. In the wall. What yeah. do you mean? What happened? What is that? That's that. You can't just say that and walk away from it. What happened? Mic drop. You know. <laughs> <laughs> the paranormal uh, mic drop, not just a mic drop. Right, right. The paranormal it's, mic it's, drop. It, it's a the. This guy was looking, it was a case. This guy was looking for his keys, and 
he uh, uh, there was a little hole in the wall, and he found them in that away. hole in the wall. Wow, that's great. a hole in the drywall. I mean, it, it was it was okay. It was it was that old paneling. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that wooden paneling. paneling. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So it's wow. like you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's random. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I just haven't had enough poltergeist cases truly to 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 have a too detailed explanation. But if anybody asks me what a poltergeist is, I do readily uh, espouse what's typically considered to be a poltergeist. Like I defined it earlier today. You know, some people believe that it is an outcropping or a manifestation of a of a person that's in duress of their uh, a latent psycho uh, you know a psychic ability or a telekinetic ability you know they think it's happening and imp- having an impact on the environment definitely uh, or some people believe that it is a a, a genuine haunting or spirit so yeah I, I tell you what I love I love those videos like on Facebook where all the doors are opening up and the drawers are coming out and stuff's flying all over the place and everybody's typing, oh, I would be scared and run. And then I have to type on the bottom, yeah, you know what I do? I'd walk in and go, you want to really impress me? Clean all this mess up. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we need. I want to see it vanish before my eyes. (laughs) Pick it all up and then I'll give you kudos, you know? Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. Absolutely. All right. Well, you know what? I think that we've probably touched on the... um, wonderful movie from way back in the day enough because believe me poltergeist cases are nothing like you saw in the movie poltergeist Um, but you know there is something that i hear quite a bit and i i don't know if i'm alone in this one or not but um every time i hear somebody talking about a native american burial ground or a um old abandoned building it's almost the assumption that they believe that the place has to be haunted okay right what is your take on, hey, it's an Indian burial mound. I'll use a burial mound as an example because they're big here on the East Coast, especially with the Adena tribes here. What is your take on this? Um, are Native American burial grounds automatically haunted? No. I don't even think cemeteries are automatically haunted, to be honest with you. I, I, I think um, – I, 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 no. I, I think it's something that spurs the imagination – I think it's some, it's creepy. I will agree that's creepy. If your house is built over a Native American burial ground, that's not cool. First off, historically speaking, culturally speaking, that's very insensitive. But either way, I think it's disrespectful. But I don't think it's necessarily going to manifest a ghost or, or a spirit or that you're automatically going to be haunted. I mean, think about it. Someone's chances are in the hundreds of thousands of years that human beings have walked on this planet, someone's died where you're sitting right now. You know, well, that's warm and fuzzy. Thank some, you for that. Yeah, I mean, chances are that's happened. Died in the very spot you're at, taking the last breath that you've 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 uh, that you're that you're breathing in now, particle of their last breath. I mean, it's happened. It, chances are that's happened. So, no, it's not. If that were the case, we'd have ghosts everywhere. You, you know, downtown San Antonio, between the uh, the um, one of the hospitals downtown and the Market Square, there's a little park. And what people don't know is that there's over a thousand people buried in that park. Yeah. The one between the the Mercado and the the the, the uh, hospital downtown, there's over a thousand people buried, and there's people walking on it and playing, kids playing on, you know. But it, it, I don't, you know, and nobody's ever talked about it being haunted or anything, you know, of that right. nature. So right. 
Uh, yeah, no. I'm sure though if you put that out there, people will totally start talking about how that's haunted. Only because they would give out the impression that it should be. Right. So people would start having stories, manufacturing or, stories. Or the yeah. or the 500 bodies in front of the Alamo, you know, that are buried in front yeah, of the Alamo. Yeah, yeah, they were burned. Yeah, but, in front but of the realistically Alamo. though, how many times as investigators do we hear this that because this place is either a burial ground, a cemetery, or an abandoned building? That it or has battle. to be haunted yeah. or a battlefield. How often yeah. do we hear this? Very often. Yeah, yeah very. very often. And, and of course, that has an impact as to where you're at, you know, geographically speaking. I mean, because we're in San Antonio. I mean, uh, come on, like 11 battles happen in where the Alamo is located now anyway. I mean, the cradle of Texas liberty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but you are going to get a, you are going to get that a lot where if there's a battlefield yeah. or a cemetery that it's automatically on it. But yeah, good one. Good one, Rob. Yeah, I, I, I don't agree. I don't think it is either. Not at all. Not at all. Now, here's another one for you. Do most teams charge or is there a charge? Should I be paying for people to come and do a paranormal investigation? Believe it or not, I've seen a few advertisements, usually on Craigslist, because there are some teams that advertise on Craigslist, which is, first off, one sign of something being sketch. But I mean, and, and let's not say all of them are because, I mean... It's an avenue of reaching people. Of course, legitimate teams are going to use it. But, I mean, if someone's charging, what do you think about that, George? Do you think that's a, a good thing? Do you think teams should charge or that most teams do? You know, I've had people tell me that it's okay if somebody wants to give or donate, but to charge. And, you know, I, no, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't expect any money from anybody. I, you know, I mean, even a donor, if they if they wanted to donate, I'd be like, no, you know, this is not why we do this. Right. This I, I would I would even turn a donation down simply because of the fact that I think then it starts to uh, maybe taint the reason you're doing it if you if you get a lot of donations. You yeah, know? And, I could see it being as a point of uh, contention or not contention, but of a a point of. Um, Oh my goodness! I suddenly can't think of the word. What is? What do you call it whenever somebody has to recuse themselves because of a a? Um, help me out here, Rob. It's because like when a judge is biased because of a um, uh, when you have oh wow anybody somebody if he's got a vested interest in it it, it kind of changes yeah. the perception it sets a level of expectation. Um, here's my issue. I'm not quite as hardcore on this as you are, George. And I hope you forgive me for that. We do accept, we do accept donations with that being said, I mentioned donation one time and I let people know that it is not a requirement because I get asked that question a lot. I just made that part of the initial presentation. What I tell them is simply this. Our team is going to come in here to help you. That's why we are here. Some people feel like that they would like to give us a donation. And if that is the case, we appreciate it. With that being said, you're not going to be treated any different. And we're going to be here to help you irregardless of what you do. That way, if they want to do something to help the people that have come to help them, they can do so. But they do not feel like it's an expectation. And I have to agree with Willow on this one. It takes away a lot of the validity. If I'm charging you, Jason, to come into your home and you think your house is haunted and I bring you evidence saying that it is, you're always going to have that thought in the back of your head saying, did they say this just because I paid them? Did they try to live up to my expectation? So I think once money becomes involved on it, it takes it to a totally different level. I won't even talk. I won't even talk about donations. I won't accept a donation until after we do the reveal on what we found, because I do not want them to feel like this being skewed because of whatever they're giving us. Now, with that being said, I think it's pretty safe to say I've done hundreds, if not 
a thousand investigations in my time. I've been doing this for a very long time. I've had two donations the entire time. And one was an inflatable swimming pool. Okay. Nice. nice. Yeah. And we used yeah. it for about three years. It was a good one. She didn't want it. She said, I want you guys to have this. I wish you'd give you money. I'm like, more than perfect. <laughs> you know, it works. Yeah, no kidding. I will also take donations in the form of eggs and other groceries. So it's no problem. No, but I. I Would you like to bother for a hog? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it does give, a, it does give you a, a conflict of interest, though. That's I mean, at that you point, you might feel, yeah, that's what I was searching for earlier. At that point, you might feel obligated to produce evidence, whereas otherwise right. you wouldn't have. I mean, but that, that's what I was going to say, because what if you uh, you take payment and then most people, when they pay for something, they expect something in return, some sort of result. Yes. Yeah. And, and yeah, I'm as far as I go now, I'm just not going to go there. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. George, have you? Uh, do you think? Can you think of any uh, type of misconceptions or paranormal things that people think about the paranormal field that perhaps aren't true, or things like that, where where somebody's come up to you with an expectation that you do or believe in one thing, where in reality it's not the case whatsoever? I tell you, I tell you what I what I get is when people pull up pictures that they consider evidence, and I just don't see what they see, and they get upset. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I, I had this guy send me a picture. Oh, do you see the face in the flames? I'm like, uh, no, I see a fire. You know, I don't see any face there, and I never heard from him again. He got upset and just wow. like, you know what, George? I do believe the God of Light has shown me something. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, you know, here's, here's the thing, guys, and and this is to our listeners because I know that uh, I know Jason better than anybody should know Jason, and we'll leave it at that. I've grown to know George and develop a friendship with him over the time in the show. Both of these men, when they put up evidence, they're like me. If you can disprove something that I've put up, for the love of God, please do it, because it brings us answers and it eliminates something that can be explained. Do Mm -hmm. not put up evidence and go into it with an absolute elitist mindset saying, this is my evidence. It cannot be disputed. I'm sorry. Everything can be disputed. I can set and dispute the speed of light if I want to, and if I have scientific validity to back it up, guess what? It disproves the speed of light. I don't care how well it's accepted. For many years, and believe it or not, currently today, there are some people that believe the world is flat still. We have overwhelming evidence that has changed that perception. Had we stayed steadfast in our belief, we would still believe the world is flat. We would have never traveled to the moon. We wouldn't have satellites to provide us with television and communication and internet and so forth and so on. So when you put evidence out, for the love of God, please be flexible with it. Please let yeah. people disprove it because that's what this field is about. And I'm with Willow on this one. They send you tape and you hear nothing but static. I've had so many MP3s sent my way, so many wave files sent my way. And I swear to God, it sounds like somebody's ordering from McDonald's. It's been you know enhanced so much. I listen to it, and I'm automatically leaning over to my microphone going, yeah, I'd like a Big Mac, a large fry. Um, you have the strawberry <laughs> shake right now, or is the machine still down? Because you've got six minutes, you have $6 million to spend on a Super Bowl commercial, but you can't fix your blasted milkshake machine. Sorry. Yep. Personal, hear, personal point. <laughs> you know? I'm going to be all right. Just get it all out there, Rob. It's going to be okay. I want my milkshake. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you want to talk about some kind of a tradition. Let me ask you guys about this one. George, I'm going to throw this one right in your lap, buddy. I'm sorry to do this, okay? Do you forgive me up front for it? I forgive you. 
What do you think about people that believe, especially in the event of a death in the house, that the mirrors should be covered? As while the death is happening or right after? Or are you talking about like, a, I guess, how, how like the Jewish faith believes that they have to cover the mirrors for, yeah. you know, that kind of thing? Yes. Yeah. And, because, and I know a lot of investigators, believe it or not, that when they go yeah. into a home, they will actually cover the mirrors. I don't know if that's yeah. one of the irrational I've, fears that we've talked about, but I've, I've I've never ever ever covered any mirrors. I've never, I, I just can't see it being a, I guess a fear point or, or or a doorway of something. Even though they say it is, or, or you know something coming out at me or something. It's like I want something to come out. If, you know, if something if there's a mirror there and something's there and it's going to come out at me, it's like. Bring it on, brother. Please do. You know, I'll catch it on video. Yeah. But you know, I'm going to kind of reference back to something you mentioned before. That's the reason that I never pray a protection prayer before I go into a home. If you think really? about it for a second, and this is just something to consider for, for, for teams out there. And of course, do what you're the most comfortable with. If you feel like you need the added protection, please do. But my line of thought on this, and guys, feel free to debate this one. If I'm protecting myself going in, I'm not going to have the same experience as the homeowner. And I feel like that's what we need to be there for. And and this kind of did loop back to what we originally talked about. But I feel like that when we go in with that level of protection, we're going in with a guard up that the homeowner wouldn't have, and we might miss something that they wouldn't. Thoughts? Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. It's a point well made. Yeah, if you're comfortable doing that. I mean, some people are comfortable doing – I've gone on investigations with absolutely no preparation whatsoever. So, I mean, obviously I'm not that – talk radio? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Go in there, no notes, no idea what the hell I'm doing, just shooting off the hip. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I I do go into investigations from time to time without doing that. I have given thought to that, Rob, because I think you've actually in a private discussion with me raised that raised that point before. And I think it is a good valid point. I mean, if you're going to be telling everything to stay away from you and then you walk into a, to a, to an investigative place where this should be a haunting, there's a, there's a possibility that you could have a negative impact on it. I, I, I can see where you're coming from, but I've, it's never been that way with me, I guess. Like, like uh, while I, uh, I do say, you know, and, and it's not every case that I actually go in and say a prayer, you know, a, a protection prayer at the beginning. It's just, I know certain ones. I'm very good at getting feelings about locations, right? So right. it's so I don't I don't necessarily do it at every at every one, but I do it at some. Yeah, and here's my line of thought on it too, Jordan. And once again, please don't take this as a criticism of your investigation style because it's definitely not intended that way. I have nothing but the utmost respect for you as an investigator. Um, think about the possibility though, of evidence you might have uncovered had you not had that protection. That's true. Very and, very. And, yeah, and I mean, like I said, you know, if you feel like you need to be protected when you go in, by all means, please protect yourself. Don't think that I'm telling you to go into a, a gunfight with, uh, you know, a gunfight with a knife. Please don't. No, no, no. But <laughs> it is something else to consider when we go in with this full suit of our faith armor, for lack of a better word. Right. What could we possibly be forcing back that might be able to make some communication? So, some just. Kind of food for thought out there. Food for thought. Okay. Makes sense. Absolutely. How about this? Now, this kind of ties in. And Jason, forgive me. I'm kind of grabbing the wheel on this one. All right. 
No, you go on going on. Keep you, on going on with my bad self. Is that, that's what you almost said. Uh, I know. It. Grab this little of that 89 Camaro, sir. There you go, man. I want to rev it up and listen to some Skinnered <laughs> while I'm at it. No, here's another thought. Should somebody be afraid if they do have a spirit in their home? Period. And Jason, I'm going to throw this one to you. What do you tell somebody that comes to you that's absolutely terrified? They read somewhere in an article that there's a haunting, they should be afraid, and you know things are going to get bad, and before they know it, there's cylindrical chair stacking going on, and you know pizza boxes flying through the house. That's their fear. How do you address people that believe that just because they do live in an area where there is a spirit, that, that they feel like they should be afraid? I say they should run, and uh, for sixty nine ninety nine a month, I can take care of that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, first off, you shouldn't be. You should never be afraid in your own home. That's a terrible thing to have happen. But if you do, I mean, if you uh, come on, I have to think about this realistically too. Somebody that's uninitiated into the paranormal suddenly being oppressed and they're in a state of fear. I try to assuage their concerns by explaining to them that uh, first off listening to them. That's the most important thing. You have to be a good listener of your paranormal investigator. And I'm not just talking about when you're reviewing evidence for EVPs. The important part of this is the human element and the human aspect of it, your client. It's your first responsibility is to your client. And I think that uh, it, after you listen to them and you can you, you have an understanding of the haunting, let's say if it's a residual haunting, then explain to them, honestly, it doesn't give a damn if you're there. It's probably happening right now. Because this goes this, to this, this might be a good opportunity, Jason. I'm sorry to interrupt, but this might be an right. opportunity for us to talk about the main types of haunting. Well, yeah, just to go over that real quick. In our very first episode that we actually had, we had what kind of scared are you? And we covered way the back in the day, by the way. I might episode add, number two one and a half years ago. Yeah, let that wow. sink in, Jason. We've been doing this for no. two and a half years. Crazy. It's crazy. And we love all of y'all that have stuck with us, by the way, all the old listeners and new ones. And I don't mean your age. I mean, I mean how long you've been. Anyway, Moving so, <laughs> yeah, well, there are three different types of hauntings specifically. There's the uh, residual hauntings, which are typically what people believe to be kind of like a recording. Uh, if you want to think of it this way, think of it as a YouTube clip. I used to say a VHS tape, but we kind of got to update that to the times. It's like a YouTube clip that plays over and over. It's going to play if it's on repeat automatically, whether you're in front of the computer or or looking at your phone or not. It's just going to keep rolling on uh, or it's like a playlist. But if you are there and you see it, you're experiencing it and you're like, oh my goodness, this ghost just showed itself to me. No, not really. That, 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 uh, that, that instance, that, uh, that, that episode occurred regardless of your presence. And the good thing about residual hauntings, because they are simply and typically recordings of previous events or prior events, it's not going to oppress you. It's not going to target you. It's not going to attack you. It's just happening, and you happen to be lucky enough to witness it. <clears throat> Keep it's in mind, like guys, a- it's a lot like the simple fact if you're watching the movie The Mask, Jim Carrey has no clue you're watching. Same yeah, basic yeah. principle in theory. I'm, I'm sorry. I just had to sum it up a little quick. No, that's perfect. Yeah, you're right. And typically people believe that's ha- that happens because let's say you uh, – let, let me explain this a little bit better. Let's say that every day – in the morning, every morning you wake up and you go have a drink of your coffee, a drink of coffee by the pool. And then 30 years later, you, you're dead. You've moved on. Uh, and the – or 100 years later, you're dead. I should say that just to be optimistic. 
Uh, the house has changed and remodeled. The pool's been filled in. Uh, the house has been demolished. A new one's been built up in its place. And there is no longer a door that you used to walk out of. But because you did that every day, the environment has recorded your movements, your motions as you're going through the motions. And suddenly someone sees a spirit walk through the wall and walk out to the back and have a seat in midair. First off, Jay, I want to say this. In, if 100 years from now somebody sees you walk through the wall, sit down by a pool that isn't there and drink coffee, there's a reason for them to be scared because you'd probably be in swim trunks or something like that. <laughs> oh, thanks for the visual, George. Dear God. Sorry, no, you know what you need to do, Jason? This, this is something you and I need to start doing, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Every time we walk through a door in our house, we need to repeat this exact same motion. We need to jump through the door and scream, oh, yeah. So oh, our ghost awesome, right? can be like the Kool-Aid man like 150 so, years from now. Yeah, the residual haunting is the Kool-Aid man. No, but <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the reason I bring up the spirit walking through the wall is because there was a door there at one point. So if you do experience a haunting where you see a ghost walk through the wall – chances are that's a residual haunting and there used to be a door there. And I say a good chance. It's not 100%, but it's a good chance that it's there. And that spirit doesn't know your presence. So no, don't be afraid of that. There's other, the other two are the intelligent haunt, the planar hauntings and an intelligent haunting. With an intelligent haunting, it is going to react to you. Uh, that one, um, I'd be concerned, but I wouldn't be scared. I would personally never say to be scared of a ghost because if you... Uh, it's not going to uh, – a vast majority of the time, it's not going to kill you. It's not going to harm you. It's not going to impact you. It's not going to touch you. Those instances are sensationalized and they're they're broadcast all over the world and people write books about them and give tours. Those are so freaking rare. You're you're better off – your chances of, of winning the Powerball two times over are more likely. So don't worry about that. Play the Powerball. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so I wouldn't, I would tell that person not to be too concerned. What about you, George? What do you think? If somebody comes in and tells you that their house is haunted, should they be afraid of that haunting? This is what I tell people. 95 to 98% of everything that's out there, it's just cool being there. It's just cool with hanging out. It, you know, if you see it and it wants to let you know it's there, you know, it's an intelligent haunting, then it's just letting you know it's there. It doesn't want to harm you. It doesn't want to, you know, scare you, even though it might. Uh, unless you're talking about, like, of course, like like Jay said about the uh, the uh, not the intelligent but the uh, residual. residual haunting, uh, that's going to happen whether you're there or not. The and you know the the inhuman or unhuman, the you know those those things are just so rare that they're you know yeah you you to have that happen in your lifetime is just going to be a rarity. So no, I would say don't be afraid of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've lived in haunted houses my whole life. So um, yeah, I mean, I, and I turned out perfectly fine. <laughs> well, that, that that might but, be a matter you know, of opinion. Agree to disagree on that one, but anyway, I, I was going to say that's just a matter of opinion, George. Please don't take yeah, it, it the wrong way. But yeah. yikes! Uh, I, love you. I, I love you guys. Too. Look to your, George. Look to your side and see who you chose to call friend. <laughs> As he waves at me, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but I'm, I'm kind of along the same boat with you guys. It, to me, you know, a lot of people fear what they don't understand, and you can actually get peace of mind by trying to understand what you fear. And I think that once people look at this with a little more of an open mind, then, you know, it becomes something that's a little more tolerable for them. But it does bring me to another great topic. And once again, I'm sorry, Jason, to do this, but you know what? No, roll on, brother. Roll yeah, on. I'm, ro- I'm rolling with it. 
I've had investigators, because if you keep in mind, please, guys, when you're listening to this, I've trained four different teams, okay? I've, I've helped get teams set up in three different states, four different groups. Most of them will claim one of two things as an absolute. Eyewitnesses are completely accurate with what they tell you, or they're completely inaccurate 100% of the time. George, help me out here. Well, just philosophy on life here. I mean, not necessarily talking about investigations. I I follow the believe nothing. Of, well, I'm not going to say nothing of what you hear, but take it with a grain of salt and, and believe. Uh, what's that saying? Believe nothing of what you hear and only half of what you see, because usually there's a good explanation for it. Right. Um, now, I'm not going to totally discard what they say, but you kind of got to, I guess, uh, uh, take it and and not put a hundred percent faith in it. Using, is what I'm using to say. it as a reference point. I think is what yeah, using it as a reference, but as a jump, yeah, as a jump off point, but not because you know when so, if somebody's had some something traumatic happen to them at a house or a location, I mean, uh, you know, it, it's like being chased by a bear. That thing was ten feet tall and six <laughs> feet wide, and you know when when it's actually you know a poodle. You know, or something like right. that. Well, you know, it kind of brings yeah. me to a thought. What kind of poodles do you have on your house, George? Yeah, That's really. Outside, it man. brings me to a thought, though. I, I saw a special dealing with the Mothman. And, you know, the Mothman is a cryptid here in West Virginia that was believed to foretell of coming tragedy. And as part of an experiment, one of the television shows actually set up a four-foot-tall cutout of the Mothman, or a moth-like replica, on the side of the road. They took a group of people and drove past it quickly. Of the 10 people that were in that vehicle, they had 10 completely different descriptions of what it looked like. With that being said, each one of the descriptions contained a nugget of the truth. Right, right. So I think my whole point with addressing this, and I want, I want your feedback on it too, of course, Jason, please don't think I'm jumping the gun here. But I believe that as an investigator, especially a lead investigator like myself, where we have to deal with the client face-to-face, hand-to-hand, it's best to try to take those little bits of information and pick them apart to try to find the little nuggets of what actually happened. You know, it gives us more of a, a guide map to start. Jason, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, take it for what it's worth, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's anecdotal evidence. And I mean, and I use evidence loosely. It's a it's an anecdote. It's something that happened. It's an eyewitness event, but eyewitnesses are notoriously unreliable. But you can't discard it immediately because, like Rob said, there is going to be some nugget of truth. There's a speck of truth in everything like that. Uh, even with fairy tales and folk tales, I treat it the same way. There's always going to be a speck of truth or reasoning or behind it. So uh, I. I, I um, I take anecdotal anecdotes and I, I I appreciate them. I personally love them. That's why I love doing this show because I love anecdotes. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I would never use it as a sole piece of evidence that there's a haunting. But I would take it into consideration and take it under guidance. I would use it to help me kind of focus my investigation because if somebody says, you know, usually it's in the living room. I think we all would put up cameras in the living room. Uh, and that's treating that anecdotal evidence with a bit of respect and weight. You know, we have to treat it like that. You can't disregard it simply because it is an anecdote. And in George's instance, I think some people that would <clears> – <throat> the people that would say that you have to 100 percent disregard anecdotal evidence are the kind of people that would listen to George's story about being chased by a bear. And they would say, well, did you die? But did you die? 
I mean, okay. I mean, it's, it's you know, I didn't die, but believe right. me, there was a freaking bear that was chasing me. It was not a poodle. Right. It was a bear that was chasing me. You know, they got chased. We know that. They're sure. afraid. We know that. So we'll take that from that story. Somebody says that they see a ghost in their living room. We know they experienced something in the living room. And we know that their concern is the living room. So let us investigate that as well. Right. And use the stories in order to guide and focus our investigation. Kind of like people, some teams use psychics for that reason. Right. A psychic will come in and they will say, you know, I have a feeling that there's something in this room. I honestly treat psychics with the same level uh, as an anecdote, personally. Yeah. Uh, and that's me personally. I'm not saying all paranormal investigators should do that. Some people treat them as gospel. I just don't. Call me a bit more of a skeptic on that as well. But I will treat them with the same weight as an anecdotal evidence. It's nice if it corroborates something. That's cool. That's what you want. But that's the reason we tell investigators to go at least in pairs. Because one person experienced it, that's a personal experience, that's an anecdote. Two people experience it, that's evidence of something happening. Uh, you still will have differing differing stories as to what happened from each of those investigators, uh, but you know at least someone's there to corroborate your experience to a degree. So yeah, right. totally. Some, something else, kind of to talk about too. Um, my take on this. All right, I put about ten percent faith in what they tell me as being gospel. I put about ninety percent faith in location. Okay. In the same aspect with most psychics, and I say most because I'm quantifying this. They make a wonderful compass. They give us an idea of where to kind of focus our look, but we still need that empirical data to back it up. And I know most of the psychics that I have worked with that are reputable, you know, reputable psychics, they hold that same feeling. They want to be able to be proven correct, so they want evidence to come forward to show that they were on the mark to help prove their feeling. So, yeah, I use a 90 to 10 ratio on that. Yeah, totally. Oh, and by the way, I never said anything about the mirrors thing. Uh, covering the mirrors, uh, that's actually also an old Catholic belief, believe it or not. When my grandfather died, my grandmother covered all her mirrors so it wouldn't capture his soul, which I think is very interesting. Some people actually believe that. Uh, I do not think that mirrors are necessarily um, uh, portals or, or, or places where spirits can come through, despite what the movie Mirrors said about that. But movie, um, I enjoyed it. Thoroughly. Yeah, it's a good movie, I, I do uh, have a slight fear of mirrors, so I don't like them uh, only because I'm frighteningly good looking. No, only because I just <laughs> I, I, I feel like it artificially – I think I think what happens is that it, it speaks to a fear of, of being exposed because it artificially enlarges the room, at least by your perception. If you have a large mirror on the wall, it almost makes the room look twice as big. And I like to feel, I don't know, I guess I feel safe in smaller spaces or I can see everything and have a survey of the area. And I think mirrors are just an unknown quantity that I don't like. But aside from that, I don't really think it's paranormal, though. And I wouldn't say that you necessarily have to cover a mirror or that a mirror would otherwise hamper or, or help your investigation. I think the only way a mirror would hamper your investigation is by reflecting and causing light anomalies. But other than yeah. that, yeah, I wouldn't be too concerned about mirrors. I got a question for you, Jay. Yeah, what's up? Do you... Uh when you go to some place, maybe a restaurant or something like that, do you sit with your back to the door? Back to the wall, I was gonna say. Oh, back to the wall? Yeah. I don't yeah. like having my back Every to the time. door. 
every time. Yeah, I, I have to see who's coming in. Yeah, right. yeah just crazy. I kind of got that from you right now. Just yeah, throwing that out. Totally. There. Yeah, you're right. You had to hit around the nose. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you never know when a jealous husband's going to. Sh- I've said too much. Right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> or, or a jealous wife. <laughs> well, you know, Jason gets a little freaky on One the weekends, time. but you know, One yeah, time. I mean, but anyway, <laughs> add, add Corona, shake well, see what happens. You know. <laughs> yeah. All right. No kidding. Well, you know, we're getting very, 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 very close to the end of the show, and I hate to wrap this up, but you know what, guys? We're at the two-hour mark, so we have completed wow. yet another episode of Living Paranormal, and I still had three questions left, and that sucks so bad because one of them I really wanted an answer to, but I guess we'll have to save it for another time. Yeah, I guess so. Well, wow, George, awesome. I want to thank you so much for coming on tonight, buddy. I really appreciate it. And you know what? You're welcome here anytime. You always bring such great insight as well as a wonderful level of humor to the show. And uh, it was an absolute pleasure to have you here with us tonight. So thank you so much for coming and uh, yeah. joining us. But um, you know what, guys? We'll be back next week at the same time, same places that we mentioned before with another fantastic guest. So for George Aguilar... For Jason Olivo, my name is Rob Henry. I wish you guys a wonderful night and an even better tomorrow. Take care. Adios. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.